Hey everyone, this is Dan. Welcome to the Spiritual Underground Podcast. Uh, we are primarily a 12-step based podcast, uh, but I'm all about any kind of recovery. And by recovery, I mean uh, uh, recovering to find which that which was lost or stolen. And for many of us, uh, we, we lost our true selves. I think that's what we're really after here is uh, getting to a place where we can be uh, comfortable being me and uh, and uh, being a helpful person on this planet uh, is a long ways from what I was for a long time. And, uh, and, and I'm, I'm, my trajectory is at least in that direction today. So um, a couple of little commercials, uh, my little woodwork and handyman business, DTM, uh, DTM Woodwork and Handyman here in the Louisville metropolitan area. If anybody's uh, in the local area and needs something like that, please contact me. You can find me here and uh, DTM, uh, Dan at DTMWW.net. Uh, the music wrapped around this podcast is by Darren Frank, a good friend of mine in recovery. Uh, he is working his way of getting home after almost two years of being in a physical rehab facility. Uh, keep him in your prayers, please. And as always, I want to talk about uh, 12-Step Spiritual Recovery, a book by James Christopher Cohn can be found on Amazon. It is uh, the 12 Steps for All. If you're currently uh, in a traditional 12-step fellowship, uh, this could be a little deeper dive for you, a new angle on the work. Uh, if 12-step fellowships didn't work for you in the first place, it just didn't work for you. This is the same tools, just a different angle, different angle of approach. And uh, it's also for those who don't fit in the traditional 12-step fellowship programs. So uh, that can be found on Amazon. It's got a bunch of stuff. There'll be some... Uh, links in the uh in the notes if you're looking for the book or looking to contact somebody about uh 12 step spiritual recovery so you guys know that i've been uh on the clubhouse bus for a while now and uh, a whole lot of people have been coming through the studio have been through that and uh, i really love the reach and i really love the connection that clubhouse is providing me um I have this core value of uh, connection and, and one of the things I found I needed was connection with other human beings. And uh, I was getting, I say like-minded, but that's not really a part of the point. Uh, much of what I get that's of real value is stuff that comes from a different mind, a different viewpoint. Uh, get with too many people that's in my own, in my own sphere. Uh, I, I, I don't grow a lot when I'm around everybody that agrees with me. Uh, I need to have some people that are, uh, come from different perspectives. And, uh, that's how I met Sean here, um, today. And actually it was, a, you know, well, I, I didn't meet him directly. Uh, he was pointed out to me by a friend of mine and said, Hey, this would be a great guest for you. And I trust that person, uh, completely and, and hollered up and, and talked, grabbed, uh, sent, sent Sean a message. And, uh, here we are today. So I, I did actually listen to a podcast. Uh, I don't, I would like to say the name of it, but I can't remember what, what the name of it was, uh, where Sean told his story. And it's certainly a very, very interesting, uh, journey he's been on. So, uh, we'll, we'll get to hear that today. Uh, Sean, how you doing today, man? I'm good, Dan. Thank you for, uh, having me on and, uh, you know, uh, being able to, you know, tell my story in the hopes of, you know, letting somebody else know out there that you're not alone and that, you know, there is a, there is a path to recovery and, uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be the traditional one, but one that works for you. And, uh, yeah, happy to be here, brother. Like we said, uh, 
I really get into a, uh, I get into my mind gets in a twist when I hear people do the one shoe fits all pathway. And, uh, and, and I understand that, um, there's old speaker named Bob Earl that talks and he's any, and, uh, there's a couple of different things where if I, when you bring me something that's working for you, my personality wants to reject that out of the hat. You know, I don't, I don't, you know, uh, and, and I would, the way I really see that is that when people come knocking on my door, carrying a Christian message, I instantly throw up the wall, you know, and they're just trying to come around and say what's working for them. They're just really just trying to offer me a tool. They're not pushing me. They're willing to walk right down the street if I don't want to talk to them. Uh, but I get some kind of personal, uh, uh, like I've been attacked or something, you know, that's my reaction when somebody comes and brings me something that's working for them. And uh, so I know that's part of the, part of the one shoe fits all uh, thing. It's not necessarily that they're uh, pushing it on me. They're just uh, carrying their message in their way. And, uh, but I do have a open mind where uh, the path is not the same for everybody. It sure isn't, shouldn't be. So where'd you grow up at? Uh, I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area in a little suburb town called Pinole. Never heard of it. Pinole. Yeah, well, Pinhole. Oh, really? Because that's how hard it is to find on a map. Yeah, well. yeah. <laughs> Tell me a little about that. Uh, well, you know, I, I grew up there with, uh, I think I was born in 73. So my parents had bought a home, brand new home there, uh, which my mom still resides in today. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, it was, uh, my parents were, I grew up in an abusive household. My father was a police officer and an alcoholic at that time. And, you know, my mom was the, I guess, the uh, punching bag, um, you know, emotionally, verbally, and from from what I was told physically. So I, I don't remember any of that. And I, and I don't, I never, I don't remember seeing any of it. I just heard stories. So, I mean, I can't like say that that's for sure what happened but you know um judging by how i turned out in my my later on down down the road maybe i did see some of that you know and and other than the physical stuff because i've never been a physically abusive person um so yeah i just when my parents divorced when i was uh five it was a tumultuous divorce uh i was the pawn in the in the uh in the fight basically so my parents you know pulled me back and forth i would an example is, is i would go to my dad's on the weekends he had me every other weekend when i go to my grandparents they would just trash my mom you know that be you know that bitch she's this and she's that and i mean i'm sitting right at the table hearing all of this stuff right yeah and so when i go home first of all i'm i'm pissed because i want to be with my dad and another thing is that well you're sending me home to this person that you just got through telling was all these things yeah and so now in my mind she's a horrible person and so when i would get there i would you know first of all I'd be crying and throwing a fit because i didn't want to stay and then you know i would uh repeat everything that i just heard <laughs> that weekend you know, you're a bitch and you're dead. I mean, I was horrible to her. Oh. And so that started the, the anger, um, you know, and the, the, the feeling of, of not being in control and can't control situations. And that just continued through um, all the, actually all the way until in my early forties. 
and I'm 47 now. So, I mean, you know, it's, it's been a long time. Yeah. And so, you know, from that point on, I mean, uh, we can touch a little bit on, you know, I started smoking, not started. I tried marijuana once when I was probably about eight or nine. Yeah. And Those I are found, some of the questions I ask is where, you know, that trail of how you, you know, <clears throat> bumped into it and decided to say yes to whoever was offering it to you. And so go ahead with that. Well, I, I, nobody offered it to me. The oh, thing really? Was, is that, yeah. So no, no, I think it was a little bit later than nine. So let's, let, let's go back a little bit. Okay. So what ended up happening is my mom put me in a, uh, a daycare center. She had to go get a job in San Francisco because that's where the money is. Hmm. And so that's like a, you know, a half hour to an hour commute. And, uh, you know, she worked in the tax uh, field. So during the uh, tax season, she was always gone for long periods of time. But anyways, I was at a daycare center and then the, the elementary school is right behind that. And so around the third grade, um, I got in some trouble. I picked up a dirt clod and there were some kids walking and I threw, I threw it at them at there was a rock in the middle of it. And I didn't mm. realize that. And so it went further than I thought it was going to go. And it ended up hitting a little girl right in her face. Oh, wow. And so I, I got expelled from, from there, kicked out of that preschool. Um, and then had to go, you know, there was a, uh, uh, elementary school down the street from where I lived. So now I become a latchkey kid. Yeah. So what was the dirt just for fun? What was the dirt clod thing going? Was y'all having a fight or was you like, you know, play, not fight, fight, but was you throwing dirt clods at one another and this and went past and it was an accident or were you aiming, were you an assassin over hiding, trying to pick somebody off or do you even no. know? It was, I, I think they were, because the kids would come through the backfield uh, walking home to the from school, right? And so they were just mouthing off, and I was mouthing off back, and they obviously said something that probably pissed me off, and I'm like, I'll show you. Okay. Yeah, but you didn't mean to hit the girl first place. They She wasn't was, part of the crowd, and uh, it was just little boys jacking around doing dumb stuff. Yeah, she was collateral damage, basically. Yeah, yeah. I don't I get it. It's just, uh, you know, these, these little wrinkles in time that, that, that like you're talking about from that far apart from that long ago, that like changed your trajectory. You know, there was some little, little, just, you know, a little thing that kids do kind of thing that all turned into something bigger. And next thing you know, you're off in some other direction, you know, getting expelled from school from it. And, um, you know, I always think, I use the word trauma, but most people, you know, hear trauma and they think about like, uh, like violent, abusive stuff, you know, and <clears throat> trauma can be, you know, the, I believe, you know, that tr parents divorcing is obviously a trauma that if somebody goes through when you're sitting there listening to people down your mom and uh, while you're sitting there at the table, uh, all that stuff stacks up, you know, and, and we don't really have any way to deal with it because you don't have any tools in your life at that time so it just all you do is just stuff it and try to do the best and walking forward and uh then things like this happen with the with the dirt clod and you know mm -hmm. there's another one like i have a garbage can i'm carrying around you know and all my life experiences go in that and uh and our our negative bias ends up making it to where those things are the things that really sit you know i can have five good days and one bad one and it's the bad one that's gonna hang around on me uh the the the, the good ones are uh, inconsequential <laughs> Oh yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, you never know what it is that's going to be the 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 piece that that causes the fragment to to go out. And I, I use an analogy, kind of like what you're saying, is that our mind 
is like a computer hard drive. Yep. And, you know, every time we experience one of these wrinkles or, you know, um, traumas, fragment goes out. And, you know, every time you do it, and at some point, you have, you're, it's so fragmented. And what happens to a fragmented hard drive? Just doesn't fire right. It doesn't work right. It's, it puts files in the wrong places. It, it does all of these things that, that are counterproductive to what it was intended to do in the first place. And so what you, what you have to do, you have to reboot. Or actually, first, you got to defrag it. Defrag it. And, and then, and then you got to reboot. Yeah. And so what's, what's the defrag process? Well, that's kind of finding it, being, coming aware of what it is that, where the problems are and where they arise from and, you know, all these behaviors that come after it. And I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but I mean, I, it just kind of goes to where you, you know, plays into what you were just talking about. Yeah. And my point of bringing it up was, is that, you know, that's the whole reason for telling these stories is to see these little things that built up and, 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 ended up you know it's a death by a thousand cuts kind of thing it doesn't have to be great big things but there are some pretty substantial ones along the path that uh that cause bigger defrag issues or bigger fragmentation issues than uh than others so uh go ahead with that that you ended up having to get got moved had to go to a different school i think yeah, that's but, a traumatic thing in itself you lose your well, yeah. friends and you move and your next thing you know you're a new kid on the block and that's no fun Mm-hmm. You know, all kinds of things go with that. Um, so, yeah, but in this, when I was in the third grade, also before I left this school, I was getting put in the court in, in the closet because I was being disruptive. Mm. And, you know, just the things that happen when, when a kid goes through something like that, you know, doesn't know maybe how the words to, to like, you've been talking for a while, but you still don't know what your words are. You know, you can't put it together yet. Yeah. You know, you know, you just feel this way and you don't have any way of, of kind of figuring out where to, where to go with it. Yeah. And what so, yeah. And so I just was acting out in school. And so their, their um, solution was, all right, we'll put them in the back of the classroom, face them away from everyone else in a closet. Mm. And so that's where my desk was for a long time. Yeah. I heard and, in one story, you said they built cardboard partitions around your desk it walled you off from the rest of everybody else so, you know, you, yeah i was in my own little my own little isolation tank and yeah. that was in the fourth grade so the third grade that happened in the fourth grade they put corrugated paper you know that that thick stuff that sometimes you'll see in a classroom as the background yeah and it, yeah so that can literally just wrap around stuff and so that's what they, that's what that teacher did yeah. as well um it didn't didn't help at all that's for sure yeah but, well what did they do in prison what's the worst what's the worst thing you get when you're in prison you get oh, isolation uh, you know mm-hmm. nobody wants to be in isolation and here in the third and fourth grade you know they're essentially using that technique on you yeah well if, if that was today i probably would have owned one of those schools yeah yeah you know but oh well missed opportunities <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so what it what ended up happening was is that my mom had no choice but to enroll me in that school and so I literally you know from the time I was in the third grade until uh, junior high I took myself to and from school uh, walked myself home uh, had the whole house to myself for hours and so when she would take away, she took away my Walkman. I, I remember that. And because 
for whatever reason. And I was like, all right, well, you're here, so I'm going to go ransack your room until I find it. And I found it. Well, while I was look while I was looking for it, I found a, a bong and, and some marijuana. Oh. And I didn't know what it was, but somehow I knew what to do with it because I think I saw the the charred bowl. And so like, oh, that you must burn it. And that's what makes that. I, I figured out what to do with it somehow. Amazing. And um I took a couple of hits, choked but felt great and i lived on we used to live on this hill right really steep hill and i remember i would always try to you know start at the top and ride my skateboard but i'd either get the speed wobbles and jump off or get scared um it didn't want to you know was too scared to just ride all the way down and i jumped on my board and i rode all the way down didn't mm. like fearless perfect i was like wow that's Magic. crazy. Yeah, there's this thing that makes me feel like Superman. And, you know, I didn't do that. That I don't even think I did it that much after that because there wasn't a whole lot there and I didn't want to get in trouble. So I just I just left it alone and put it back. Found my Walkman, though. And, <laughs> <laughs> and when, my mom would, when my mom would come home, get ready to come home, and I knew she was coming home, She would, I would, you know, throw it back in its place and, you know, uh, come get it the next day. Yeah. And so, I mean, that's just how my life was, right? I was, I was pretty much on my own and, you know, there was no supervision. There was no, no, uh, discipline for sure. There's no, who's going to enforce it. Right. You well, I'm putting me on restriction. Okay. I'll just put the phone yeah. off the hook. Yeah. I'll, I used to take the phone and take, put it off the hook when I left. So I could just, oh, I was talking to my friends on the phone Yeah. and yeah. I would go out and do what I want to do and just be right. back before. Yeah she got home so yeah it's can't no enforcement to the consequences yep and so that's how i i rolled until i got into about the the seven but bullying kids at this time because that anger i didn't know where to go with it so it went, it went on everybody else uh that i could and until until I tried to bully the wrong person and the dude ended up punching me in the stomach in front of a bunch of people. And that kind of ended that. It's, it's amazing how that works. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, so I ended up in, in junior high. I uh, got expelled from there because I was playing with a butterfly knife in class and the teacher was outside the classroom and I'm flipping this thing around, showing off like, Hey, look what I can do. And when he came, I went to put it in my, my pocket and I missed the inside pocket and it fell right on the ground. Clank, 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 clank. clank. And uh, well, that was it for that. Uh, ended up getting uh, expelled from there. Went to my dad's. He lived in Sacramento, California. Uh, and, you know, we had still been in and out, but he blamed my mom for the reason, like the, the, for the person I was becoming and, you know, had no uh <clears throat> took no responsibility or accountability in that went up there didn't really work out um flunked out of seventh grade had to go to summer school ended up getting kicked out of that summer school uh had to go back down to my so this is my mom's like nope not coming back here and my uncle took me in uh san bruno which is near the san francisco airport for those of you who 
need some geographic uh, locational uh, uh, visuals. And that didn't work out either. Uh, I ended up getting in trouble and kicked out of that one too. And so I had no choice but to go back to my mom's. And so she begged and pleaded that school to take me back that it spelled me to begin with. And three weeks prior, and I, I'd flunked out. So, I mean, I, I technically didn't pass the seventh grade, but since I moved around so much, I ended up in the eighth grade. Mm. For some, some miraculous reason, maybe it was a mistake. I don't know. So... I go back to the eighth grade, probably in the middle of the year. And they said, okay, fine. And three weeks prior to me, uh, to summer, summer break, they called me in because I'd had like 35 referrals to the office in that short, in that period of time, I'd been suspended maybe five or six times already. And they just said, you know what, go home. Uh, you're not suspended. You're, you're not in trouble. We just don't want you here. Yeah, wow. So just go home. Uh, we're going to socially promote you to the ninth grade and never come back here, ever. Yeah. And so I was like, all right, well, I got a three-week early break. I'm right. cool with that. You know, no supervision. My mom's at work. I could do whatever I want. And so, yeah, that's how kind of that that went down. Um, my ninth grade year, uh, that actually that summer, I ended up messing around with uh, – some chick that had a boyfriend that I didn't know. And uh, ninth grade comes around. Uh, he finds out about it somehow. I get a phone call uh, on my answering machine, the tape, right? The tape answering yeah. machine. And, you know, hey, come to the, come here, meet me here. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to X, Y, and Z, I'm going to beat your ass and this, 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 and that. And you're messing with my girl. Scheduled and, fight. Yeah, yeah, basically, and and the guy was a gang member too. So he was a, uh, a Northanio, which is a, a northerner. So you've got the southerners, which are thirteens, and 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 Sorenos, which are down in Southern California. And you got the northerners that are up here in Northern California, which they call Northanios, which are fourteen, the number fourteen, and I think that's fourteen for the I don't know why it is, but it. Uh, I was like, all right, well. I took that tape and brought it to school with me. And I had friends that were gang members too. I was never in a gang though. I just was the guy that would know everybody in the parking lot and I can go hang out with the mods, the the dorks. I could go hang out with all of these, you know, different labeled groups in high school. Right. Yeah. The chameleon. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. And uh, so I brought it down to, and I let them listen to it in the uh, parking lot. And uh, they're like, Oh man, let's go get him, man. And you know, exactly what I wanted to do happened. You know, I and I was a very good manipulator. Mm. I learned how to manipulate really well um throughout this whole time from when I was a kid and up to this point. Yeah, a lot of good training in that department. Oh yeah. And it got way worse the older I got. Um, and so we end up going down there at lunchtime. And the reason why I'm saying this is because this is the first time I get in trouble with the law. And so um, we go down there and by the time we get there, there's four, I think there's three or four carloads of guys following. And we all get out, we walk down, uh, crazy enough, like her and him are walking up as we're walking down, she bolts and uh, he 
starts keeps walking towards us. He doesn't he doesn't uh he doesn't go away even though we got all these people behind me. And he's alone? He's alone. And so he keeps going and then they follow and wrap around him and he starts uh he starts putting his hand in his pocket and somebody comes from behind me and just tags him and then he just pinballs between people, gets away, ends up in running into the uh convenience store, which is sort of like a seven eleven but something different. Yeah. Um, a couple guys catch him at the door, they pick him up, they slam him onto the counter, drag him over and knock everything off. He manages to get to his knife, which he was going for to begin with. And then he slashes one of my friends across the face. Oh, wow. And, and they get the knife away from him and they can, they, they just, they beat the shit out of him, oh. but it's all on camera because <laughs> it's, because it's in the store. Yeah. And I, I never touched the dude. Wow. But yeah. it, it all happened so fast. And I'm just like watching go, holy shit. Did I just cause this? <laughs> or like, holy crap. Look what I can do. Oh, yeah. Some you power. know what I mean? Yeah. And so there was kind of like my first inkling of like how to organize people to get them to do what I want. Mm-hmm. And so, oh, let's put that in. Let's put that in that. Let's put that in the bank real quick. And so, what ended up happening is, you know, all that took place. We jammed, and when I get back to school, um, I go down to the subway to grab something to eat. Like nothing happened. I'm like, oh, I'm hungry now, so I'm gonna go get yeah. something to eat. The uh, somehow the they knew where to find me, and they showed up. The our police or or school security uh, shows up because she knew that was me right yeah and uh yeah i ended up getting in trouble for inciting a riot and oh really up, yeah <laughs> that's another one of those, like you know kind of like the dirt cloud you, you had no intentions on inciting a riot you basically i would guess you you know at some level that was self-protection you know i was just not wanting to get beat up so uh i got some people on my side so that i wouldn't get hurt and they mm-hmm. said, you know, I'm uh, <clears throat> what what appears to be somewhat of a defensive move ends up being a riot charges. <laughs> yeah, well, and what we find out later on in life, you know, if you ever dealt with a narcissistic person, you know, or, or a gaslighter is the person that usually reacts and responds to them are the ones that get in trouble. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not the person that 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 set it off in motion to begin with. Yeah, and yeah, that's the art of it. Yeah. So, so yeah, that, that happened and I ended up on probation, um, or suspended sentence, whatever you want to call it. Uh, so I went to, so from that was, uh, that was as a freshman. So that summer and my friends had been trying uh, crank, which was the pre what meth was what we call meth a long time ago. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That old dirty biker dope. Yep. Um, Yep. I'm familiar. Yeah. So they were doing that and I was the youngest out of all of them and they wouldn't let me do it. And I guess they didn't want to be responsible for. Interesting. uh, Yeah. And so, but I, my aunt, cause when my dad, uh, my dad split up, he married a lady that was down the street and her family was still there. And one of the daughters or two of the daughters were still there, which were like 15 years older than me. Um, 
and so I knew that one of them was a tweaker or stoner or somebody who might be able to point me in the right direction of like, what are these people not letting me do? Yeah. And sure enough, uh, she was the first person who gave it to me. Yeah. That's an interesting thing too. You know, that's that, uh, tell us what not to do. And that's the first thing I want to do. Right. Oh, uh, you say no. And that just increases my curiosity and, and wanting to do it. So you were someplace around the ninth, 10th grade here. Yeah. Right. 10th grade. Yeah. And so it didn't take very long for, for things to go really downhill really fast. Um, especially I, I couldn't sleep, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, trying to get this, this thing. I'm finding different places, people and that are doing it and it, that are my age and older. And so there's hanging out with older people now. Um, and so I was doing that for a while uh, until things, I was, would run away. I wouldn't come home. I'd sneak out at night. I was doing all of the things that, that you're not supposed to be doing when you're a kid. Yeah. Including like even driving, taking my mom's truck out at night because she would come home from the bar uh, and, you know, be kind of hammered. And I would just pull the garage door open, one of those creaky old ones. Yeah. <laughs> Her room was right next to the garage. And so, and she had a stick shift, uh, one of those old, remember the old uh, uh, 1985 Toyota pickups with the yep. SR22 engine, the ones that never, never break? Yep. Um, I would back that out and I would coast it down out of the driveway. Yeah, push and it go, out. Yeah, push it out and back, back down the driveway because we lived on that hill, right? And I would just go all the way down to the next court and, back into there and then cut out yeah started up down the street yep and then to bring it back home i would do about 60 or 65 up the up the street and shut it off and just coast it right back into the into the garage yeah and those things didn't have power steering in the first place so you weren't really mm -hmm. losing anything that rack and pinion steering worked just as good running or not yep yep and so i mean that that's just the kind of dude i was right i was yeah. always figuring out a way to to get around something or find a, a vulnerability in the security of something and yeah. that reminded me of something of that i had not thought about in a long time of uh stealing cars in the neighborhood of one of my buddies place we used to specifically this one old lady you, she left her guard her garage open and she left her keys in her car and after she went to sleep, we would roll our car out and we would go cruising. And, you know, later on in the night, we'd bring it back home, put it back in the garage and all was well. And we never did get caught doing that. And we used that car a lot. Uh, we probably hilarious. put more miles on it than she did. <laughs> but I mean, you know, it's like the, how the attic mind works. Yeah. No harm you done. Know? Yeah. Just a little gas. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, we, we got 14, money. 15. We weren't even driving late. Yeah. So that, you know, I think that, that summer, um, is where I got in trouble. Uh, well, there's some other stuff that happened in between. So my mom ends up declaring me incorrigible and, and gives me up as a ward of the court. Mm. So now the state has control of me, but I'm still in her, her custody. And so I ended up, I've done some time at juvenile hall by now. Uh, I did a 151 at the boys ranch. So 151 days. Uh, I ran from there on a, on a, a, passed on uh thanksgiving so i went to my family's on thanksgiving and i got a pass to come out of there and i ended up calling on the phone a girl that i was messing with that was far away and she not far away but like 
she didn't have a car to come get me and I needed to get to there. So what I did is I went snag some money out of my grandma's uh, wallet to take the BART train, which is our version of, you know, like the, the L in Chicago. Okay. Yeah. And so, or the elevated train in Chicago. Right. right. And so I, I left, I just bounced. I went to smoke a cigarette and just jetted and yeah went to the bart station took it to the closest one she got me a ride or got a ride to pick me up and i hung out with them her for like you know four days and i was like well i guess it's time to go back Mm -hmm. and so i ended up having to turn myself back in and caught another year uh, suspended and so that's what played into the next place that i ended up so you know obviously got to get out still not doing anything different uh same people hanging out with i end up um i end up getting in trouble again and then they give me the option to go to a do nine months in juvenile hall or do six months in a residential uh adolescent treatment program so basically a therapeutic community for kids Mm -hmm. and i'm like well there's girls there and there's not in juvenile hall so i'm going there (laughs) So, you know, obviously, and, and I played up, you know, the fact that, you know, I have, oh, I've got a problem and the manipulation, you know, um, which it said keeps getting worse. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so that worked out for me and I end up going there. Thing I didn't realize is that in a therapeutic community, it's not about time. It's about progress. Uh-huh. <laughs> so that six months ended up being 16 months Oh wow because i was not progressing um i ran away with a girl because i wanted to screw her i didn't care about her just cared about what i wanted mm-hmm. and so we ran away and jumped on the bart train and how i got money to pay for this bart train and to get me where i needed to go is i was paying the guys from the emancipation house to buy packs of cigarettes and bring them back to me because we were only allowed to have like seven for the day mm. And we got a $5 allowance uh, during the week to either buy sodas or, you know, well, it's basically to buy sodas. And I was selling cigarettes a dollar a piece uh, to, to these guys and like clearing out their, their, you know, so I had a stack of cash. Yeah. Um, Dealing. Yeah. Same thing. Just manipulating, you know, just, just figuring out how to, how to get around things. And even in the kitchen, like I was never a kitchen worker, but I would go in and I would sweet talk the, uh, the lady that was working there. Her name is Maria. And I still remember her name. And she, uh, would always let me come in and help her cook and and do all this stuff. Right. Even though I didn't have a job there and I would come out with egg omelets, just fat plates, way different than what everybody else was eating. Right. And just, you know, like a, like I'm a hot shit, sit down right in the middle and start eating, eating my stuff. And I would get called out on it all the time because they'd have these uh, confrontation groups, which what I didn't realize um, until after I went and visited another one, uh, you know, some months back and you can't change behaviors unless you call them out. Because most of the time, our behaviors are so ingrained in our in our subconscious that it's like an auto response, you know, that we don't even have time sometimes to, to catch before it even goes out, right? Yeah. It's just that, boom, this is what I do. And yep. this is what I'm trained to do. And I, I 
I was so resistant to it. Um, but at some point, I realized that, well, shit, I, how am I ever going to get out of this place? <laughs> you know? And I, I had to start thinking about it. And right, well, this isn't working. This isn't working. And and right, well, I'm gonna have to stop doing this. And finally, I just the most crazy thing that that I learned here was that uh, surrender to win. And that just I couldn't figure it out up to a certain point because it's just it doesn't make sense. How am I gonna win if I give up? Yeah, but it's not giving up. It's in it's it's in the language surrendering is not giving up surrendering is like what bruce lee used to say uh the art of fighting without fighting become water yeah what does water do it just flows takes, it flows and takes on on the shape of whatever it is that it's it's in or whatever direction that you're pulling or pointing it and so i didn't I, I didn't realize that then now this came after that analogy. Yeah, so much um, stuff is in the, in the rear view mirror, you know, it's hindsight. Um, and so that's what I did. I was like, all right, well, they keep telling me that I need to get real and getting real means show emotion about what's going on, you know, tap into that place that where all this is coming from. And I did, and I, I bought in and I ended up becoming their poster child for change. Mm. And even to the point where I did a, uh, a speak, I did a speech uh, for about 500 um, legislators and educators um, at the Oakland Airport Hilton. Uh, ended up was going and doing outreach programs to kid high school kids in the area. Tell them and, how this works. What your <laughs> that there's life changing life changing event is available to you. Yeah, yeah, how basically. You do it. Yeah, well, so it was just playing the game, or did you really, you seriously, to best of your ability, you bought into it and actually took it, or were you manipulating then, like, uh, on purpose? I think, I think it was, I think it started out as a manipulation, and then it, then I actually started seeing, like, oh, if I, I can do this, you know, and, and like doing the outreach stuff, like, oh, that's pretty cool, you know, but I would, you make it, yeah, yeah, basically, but, I was still too young. I didn't, I didn't really understand what I had and what I was doing. Yeah. So I was just like happy with all the cool shit that was coming from it. Yeah. Yeah. The outcomes were worth doing again. It's kind of like the reward thing, you know, you were yeah. getting rewarded for acting like this. So I will act like this more. <laughs> yeah. Right. That's exactly <laughs> it. And, uh, and so, you know, I ended up getting out and I went to a an emancipation house. I didn't go back to my mom's and then I went from there, I got my first job at a professional theater company, um, uh, do, uh, building sets for plays for, mm. for professional plays, and I did that for a little while. Ended up moving to my 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 brother, who I didn't realize was becoming my sister uh, until I got there. Mm. And so, I mean, this is the the guy that I used to you know go to baseball games with, used to like look up to, and you know, that's I'm a while back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Trans uh, forming, uh, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. transgender. Well, it was cross dressing then, and you used to be a drag queen. And I just used to think it was for. Uh, he said it was for acting, mm -hmm. you know, because he he was an actor, an extra, and doing stuff in in you know in that that stratosphere. Uh, and so I was like, okay, until it's like every day, 
is dressed like a woman and like starting to talk like a woman. And I'm like, you know, this is strange. Yeah, I'm a smart guy. I, you know, I, I, I can figure things out. I can't figure this out. Like what the, what the fuck is going on, man? And finally I, I confronted her cause now I, I can't really say to him. So now that I know what's what it is, it's her. Mm-hmm. Um, I confronted her and we got into an argument and I just, you know, just reverted to my old self and was like, I'm going to fucking kill you and blah, blah, blah. But prior to that, I had bought a, my mom co-signed for a car for me and I had a Thunderbird and what I was doing, I was out hanging out and this is my, before, before I got kicked out of there, this had transpired. I was hanging out, had the car, um, was hanging out with some unsavory characters and ended up getting in a, a, uh, I took them somewhere and they, they got out of the car and they went and they beat up somebody, um, with steel toe boots. And I was the oldest one, but I wasn't there. I was in the car waiting, didn't never touch the, the dude. And I ended up getting the, the, the brunt of it because I was the adult. Mm-hmm. And so I ended up going to jail car got impounded um i was my first experience in in adult jail and got bailed out mom you know came to the rescue again by the way i I probably owe her upwards about a hundred grand and all the different programs and stuff i've done an outward bound uh, before all this too at some point you know two-week program in palm palm desert um a bunch of other things i had run tried to teach somebody how to drive that truck and because we were i had taken it from the bart station there was a whole nother story there that i'd missed but uh ended up running it into the house because the guy didn't know how to drive a stick uh-huh. and punched it going back and up and i'm like oh you're you just gotta ease up tiger right? you gotta ease into it and uh he didn't turn the wheel and punched it again and it just fucking went over the curb and right into the house and so yeah that's a whole nother story yeah that's a that is i don't know why that gets me but when you when you wreck into a house uh you know you're you're out there (laughs) Uh, houses are not easy to run into yeah and you can't well i can't hide that yeah no doubt so i mean if it was that's with your mom's truck yeah yeah and so, you know, I, I, I'm not going to get into the whole thing, but yeah. I mean, you know, I, I couldn't, this is one that I, I couldn't hide. I mean, if it was just that I wrecked it into something, I could, I could go and just dump it and say someone stole it from where it was um, or, or whatever. I mean, I probably would have got caught for that too. Um, but it just, you know, the, it's just more of that chaos that I, I had going. So anyways, I end up uh, getting in trouble there and then, I end up, uh, I'm drinking now, right? So I'm drinking forties of whatever, whatever malt liquor I can get my hands on from whatever store that'll sell to me. Cause I'm probably only about 19 at this point, 18, 19 years old. And, uh, uh, I start trying to spin donuts in the road after I drank like a 40 and I ended up losing control and going over a curb and fucking just just fucking it up and i end up right after that is when i got into the fight with my sister 
And then I ended up back at my mom. She took the car away because she's the one who co-signed for it. And she's like, you're just destroying this. So she took that away, didn't, uh, and uh, put it in the garage. And, like, she wasn't going to fix it. She didn't take it away. She just wasn't going to fix it or pay to get it fixed. And so I ended up having a friend that was a mechanic and figured out how to, uh, we went to a pick and pull and started getting the parts and the pieces to fix it. And then uh, we end up just cutting out and going to move to some other place uh, in Sacramento, California. I was doing okay. Uh, there's some other stuff that I didn't get to, but if we, if I keep going, we're going to be here for four, three hours. <laughs> so I'm going to try to condense this down a little bit because we're like a quarter of the way through. Um, Our stories are long, and that's one of the things that you know. I'm come from that 12 step background, and if you go sit up at the podium, you know, there's 10 minutes of talking at the beginning and 10 minutes of talking at the end, and you end up with 30, 40 minutes to tell your story. And uh, I like doing this where we can get a little more complete on on the on the storyline. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because it, 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 it a lot it all it all ties in. Yep. And if you does. can't if you can't see the the links and the and it, it's hard to it's hard to to truly connect with somebody's story unless you could see all the little nooks and crannies of the of the trajectory and and the path yeah right yeah the holes in the story and then loses loses some continuity yeah um so where am i at move to sacramento get a job start working um the neighbors above me or no we were on top the neighbors below did crank and so that's where i ended up doing it again finding it again and off and running um you know got a girl uh actually you know the girl that i was dating when i was down at my brother's um she wanted to buy a car there was a dealership down the street i picked her up brought her up there uh she had like three thousand to put down on it i had to co-sign for it uh she got it took off uh it was one of those things though is you know sometimes just because you got the car doesn't mean you get finance for the car and so couldn't get us financed and had to bring it back when she, I went down there to pick it up somehow, somehow. Oh, that's what it, I don't, I can't remember what ended up happening, but somehow I dropped the car off and she wasn't around and they cut the check in my name <laughs> and I went and blew all of her money on just, I don't know what, whatever, what I bought with it, but I just went and blew it. And um, she had no choice but to come and move with me because she's like, that was what I was going to put towards a, an apartment and this and that. And I'm like, oh, well, you just come stay with me. It's cool. You know, and so she moved in there. Um, we moved around a few different places because got in a fight with that roommate, uh, you know, drugs, girls, um, all this stuff, you know, toxic situations. With, you know, when you got a bunch of addicts running around mm -hmm. in the same place, something's bound to break. <laughs> and uh so we moved out of there went around to a couple of different places finally uh, i'm hooking up with another dude that's that's comes from the bay area and he's selling crank and so we end up together uh, i got my friends that i grew up with that are all in college in chico so i come up with this great idea like well hey why don't we why don't we go get an ounce of of crank go to chico and sell it to the students when for finals week because they're all trying to cram right 
and stay up and do all that. So that's, I went up there. That's what we were doing. Ended up hooking up with a girl up there where we could stay at her place and, and push, push out our, our products. And like these kids were so, they weren't, they weren't stupid, but they were just like, they would go, can I get 20 twenties instead of like, Hey, can I get a quarter gram or, or, and I was just like, this is amazing. Yeah. Right. Large quantities of small quantity. Yeah. It's like, this is a, this is a retailer's dream. Yeah. <laughs> and so I was doing that for a while and I wouldn't come home for like a week at a time. And I, we didn't have beepers or, or um, any of that stuff yet. Well, there were, but I didn't have one yet. So it was all just regular phone call. And I wasn't going to call from, you know, the girl's house that we were staying at because then it star 69 it. And, you know, I just didn't want to do that. So I just wouldn't say anything. And I would just show up after, you know, being up for three days, uh, come home, crash and sleep for, you know, two or three days and, you know, wake up, eat all that. Everything that goes along with, with coming yeah. down and, and, you know, trying to level out. Yeah. And so yeah. At, at some point, like she probably realized that she's like, I'm done with this. And, um, one day, uh, I came back and I think I'd, already, I'd started working at a, uh, at a, uh, what the hell is that place called? I, I'm a Marie Collinders or something. Hmm. Uh, so as a food server and I got a phone call and someone asked if I was working and I didn't put two and two together, but it was her and she cleaned my apartment out, took all of her stuff, took all of my, and, and, and I'd learned from the people up in Chico and the money that I was making, I bought a whole setup to uh, grow marijuana indoors from the uh, lights to the, the sun circle to the CO2. The only thing that I screwed up on is that I didn't, I should have put in a, uh, a, uh, an air conditioner because it was way too hot in there and it didn't grow right. And it was, it was kind of a waste of time, but the first time I did the second time, it was a little bit better, but she stole all of it and she cut all the, she cut all the stocks of the plants and left them there. I took all of the equipment and um, you know, we had, uh, and so I came home and I realized this, the locks were changed. So I went and scaled the balcony and I ripped the sliding glass door off of its, uh, off of its tracks to get in. She had a whole bunch of clothes that were still, still there. Um, She took my dog too. It was our dog, but it was more mine than it was hers. She took that too. And this was after I had caught her cheating on me. And so that's what kind of spurred this whole thing on. Um, I, I convinced her that she should be a stripper and she went and did it, yeah. uh, you know, because I needed more money and in, in coming income coming in, but not from me because I didn't want to work harder to get it. So I well, passive income. <laughs> yeah. And the reason how I got that is that I was cheating on her with the stripper that I met at a club because i would go out you know like i said i was i was a i was a grade a piece of shit man uh in my in my travels and i was self-serving to the max and people were not people to me they were uh they were means to an end or get me where i need to go assets treating people like assets yep exactly um and my ROI is usually in my favor all the time and not theirs. And so I've camp out. I, I know something's weird. Uh, said she was spending the night at a friend's house. Um, 
I'm like, ah, there's just something, there's something that's not correlating here. And so I went to her club, camped out, saw her leaving with the bouncer, making out at the car. And I'm like, all right, that's all I need to know. I just need to know. I'm not going to go confront the dude or try to beat anybody up. Plus he was kind of big. So I didn't, and I didn't have any weapons with me. So I'm like, well, I'm not going to do that. Um, you know, cause I'm a coward, <laughs> you know, I've, 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 I'm in trouble for all this big shit, but I had never touched anybody up to this point. Right. I was just right. a big guy and, you know, people never, you know, I have a look that people don't want to mess with sometimes. And I never, I never got challenged. So uh, it, uh, it, it was good and bad. So that's when, you know, I call him, that's, I call and say, hey, the gig's up. I call the friend and say, I just seen what she's doing. So uh, we need to tell her to give me a call because we got to figure this out. And so the very next day she had put all this into action and I come back, rip the thing off. She had some clothes there. All my stuff was there. There's a 50 gallon fish tank there. All my stuff is gone with the thing. So I'm pissed. I'm livid. We're in a second floor. Uh, I take all of her clothes, put them in a pile in the front, in the middle of the room. I bleach the whole bleach, all of them. <laughs> and then I bleach all the carpets. Nice. Uh, cause, cause now you're going to, you, she wanted, you're going to make me pay. I'm going to make you pay. And then I took the, on my way out, um, I shattered the fish tank. Oh, wow. And so it flooded the whole bottom floor of the, <laughs> of it. Right. It was none of it was in my name either. And so I was like, yeah. And, and the, I knew the, the, the lady that was, uh, what do you call it? The property manager. Like I knew her, I would hung, I hung out with her. Oh, and, and so like, there's that thing, that manipulation, getting in where I need to get in, in order yeah. to still, you know, be able to use somebody at a, you know, it was like playing chess, right. Before I knew how to play chess, it was like setting up the pieces because I may need to use you down the road. Yeah. And so, and I, and it did come in handy because she allowed me to get an apartment even though knowing what i did in that same complex again so i got another apartment um i don't know what happened with her and how much that cost her uh i never talked to her again after that hmm. so you gotta yeah, wait yeah well i mean she can't prove it yeah yeah you know well, that's so, part of the doing this stuff and then getting away with it you know that's obviously increases the chances of me pulling stunts similar later on uh, as I continue to, you know, this manipulation and this behavior is actually working, you know, working. And, uh, yeah, so, uh, we will repeat that and, you know, and, and not change it. The opposite is you get in trouble and you get your ass burned, you know, and you start going, Hey, maybe that wasn't such a good plan. <laughs> <laughs> right. And so that's just continued and continued and continued. So I get the apartment, I hook up with a whole new different group of people, um, and I get a pull in a roommate cause I need some, I, you know, it's a two bedroom and I can't afford it by myself. My mom co-signed for that. Again, I talk her into doing something for me once again. Uh, my dad had given me and my dad. So my whole father's side of the family are, are law enforcement. They're all cops. Oh, wow. right? And so I moved to Sacramento where my dad lives and he works for the Sacramento County Sheriff's Department as a latent expert. So he moved from being a, a street cop to a criminologist. And so he, he had given me um, my grandparents' car, uh, their Mercedes uh, to use. And, um, and so I did. 
and you know not i'm just i'm so irresponsible uh i don't know i'm still i am not working anymore um i had pulled a string of jobs where i was working as a as a uh what was it as a personal trainer at 24-hour fitness in the morning i was working <laughs> at at uh at uh what's that place called el cerritos as a server on uh during the the lunch and dinner shift and then i would go work at a nightclub at night as a bouncer so i get my workouts in i get fed and i get laid and get paid to do all of them yeah and so that needs are being met oh yeah that lasted for about three months because i I mean Getting off at two o'clock in the morning, not getting to bed till four, having to get up and be at, at work at nine. I mean, you can imagine running that is not going to last very long. Yeah. And at some point it all folded in and I had to start figuring out a different way of, uh, of working. I didn't want to work that hard. Um, and so I started thinking about um, doing some other things. And I hooked up with a friend and he's like, hey, I know where there's a bunch of money. We just need to figure out how to get in to get it. And I'm like, all right, so there's three of us, right? Um, me and my roommate and then my friend, uh, we'll call him Jack. Mm-hmm. And uh, so Jack's like, you know, I got a, my ex is a stripper. And like, I'm, I'm all about strippers. I hang out at the clubs all the time now. I got tons of girls that I'm, I'm you know, dealing with. And so I'm like, all right, let's tell me about it. And so he's like, she, all of her money, she puts in a, a quick can, you know, one of those fake ones that yeah. you hold money in. And uh, she's like, it's full. And she puts it in her, her refrigerator. And I was like, all right. So I'm like, well, I'm not going to go do it. But Ryan, since you don't got no money and I'm the only one that has some money, I'll buy the lockpick set you go in and you do it. And then Tony, you're the, you know, so we're all three way partners in this, whatever, whatever comes up. Um, that's what, that's what we're going to do. And so it happened. I uh, brought it back and there's like 22 grand. Wow. In, in this can. And we split it up three ways and we just started partying. Our I'll bet. Off. Jackpot. Um, yeah. And so, we we I hook up with some some chicks and they're like let's go to this place, this club and I'm like all right let's get a, let's get a limo and go to this club right let's let's really do it, and so we do and we walk out and we're all dude we're all dressed fly, we went to a club in Sacramento where all the kings used to hang out at it was called the uh, Fish Emporium, and I get in there and we start you know hanging out you know I'm like. Big shot, big baller. Yeah, yeah, put it on my tab, this, that. And my roommate works there, right, as a bartender. So his gig was is he would fake opening a tab and then keep track of whatever it is and whatever it ends up being, he just charges you half in cash and he keeps the money. And so so we're just like acting like ballers, whatever. And so we ended up – there was some funk that happened and there was a dude – um, that I had been talking to and somebody, somebody like, like pushed up on him and was like, Hey man, cause he was a Coke dealer. And I didn't know this at the time, but he, uh, uh, I, I had his back cause I had a, like an entourage with me. Right. 
And so I had a bunch of people with me and I just like, Hey man, I got this. And so we, is there a problem? Can we help you out? <laughs> right. And so he was like, Whoa, you know, it just, it was just all an illusion though. It wasn't like real. This was just something I put together to have fun. And the unintended consequence of it was, is now me and this dude become like best friends and he's a Coke dealer. And this is where I start selling drugs. Yeah. You had uh, done him a real solid and he was saying, Hey, me and you can get along. Yep. And so that's where all that started. Um, you know, I, I was doing that pretty heavily and, you know, uh, I don't know how I'm surviving I mean, because I was a horrible drug dealer. That's for sure. Um, you know, but I was a people person, right? I'm a manipulator. I would always have after parties and have people back at my, my place. So I went from, I'm like, I went from that small two bedroom and I'm like, I need a bigger place. If I'm going to, if I'm going to entertain, if I'm going to entertain and be this dude. Right. And so still the same, the same lady, right. Who, you know, I'm paying my rent and shit's getting paid. So she's like, all right, well, I'll put you in a, in a townhouse. It's a one, two, it's a two bedroom townhouse, but it's got a lot more room. Yeah. And so, yeah, it, uh, we, I was having after parties at that, um, if people would come over and, you know, getting my name out there, uh, selling, selling drugs, uh, mostly ecstasy. cocaine or anything or go ahead. No, no Coke, uh, ecstasy, GHB, you know, all of the club drugs oh, gotcha. and I'm a raver now. And so I've been going to raves and doing all this other stuff, you know, meeting all these different people in the club scene. And two of my neighbors are strippers. Uh, they're twins that mm. work at one of the clubs that I frequent and would sell a lot of, a lot of stuff to. And uh, I ended up manipulating a uh, ER doctor who um, just, was fascinated by my lifestyle and all the pretty girls that I had around me all the time. And so I manipulated him into moving into the, the main bedroom because I needed, I needed money. I was behind on, on, uh, on the like $800 electric bill. Um, I was behind on some other stuff. And I said, if, well, if you come in, then you can have the, the, the big room, but you need to pay all this shit to, to catch me up. And he was willing to do it. Cause he was like, this dorky doctor that screwed his life up after he got successful versus before, which was what I was doing. And uh, he wanted to be around what I was doing. And I just exploited him and, and used him and, and, uh, and all that stuff. But he was kind of a weirdo too. He was doing, he was, he was doing weird shit to chicks uh, that I found out afterwards and had to kick, kick him out like really weird shit. He was, would give him GHB and pass him out. And, uh, start doing funky crap to him and i was like oh no you gotta go because you were gonna bring the heat on me brother <laughs> and uh that lasted for a while and uh at some point i, I hooked up with uh, my first daughter's mom who was a stripper and we ended up moving into a place a lot of stuff happened in between that um and so we did uh got her pregnant um ended up uh so i i i, I Ran across a bad ombre, um, and it was going to be the next time we see each other, it was going to be I'm going to die or he's going to die. And since I haven't been tested up to this point yet, I'm like, well, it's not going to be me. I'm leaving. <laughs> and so I convinced her to move to uh, Vegas because, you know, there's tons of strip clubs in Vegas. And while well, I won't need to work, you can. Being pregnant and all. 
because that's oh, wow. the kind of that's the kind of winner I am. Yeah. Right. So manipulation getting worse. Uh, we go there. Um, we are doing okay. We move into a house. I bring a friend up from from uh, uh, Sacramento who's is well no i find out he's living there and he's he's got a stripper for a girlfriend too and they're living in a, a pad up there and i had moved this dude out of his house in the middle of the night when she was working in vegas once before right so she came back and all of his shit was gone we just really pulled a houdini on her and he got back with her and i hadn't talked to him for a long time he finds out i'm in vegas and we hook up again and then we houdini her ass again he's like i gotta get out of it he comes and lives with me and my my girlfriend um uh, we have our daughter um which i was fucked up the whole time like i was so remember johnny depp and blow yeah and how he's just and he's there but he ain't there yeah that's what i was like when i was i was on ghb and i was almost passing out and i was just like luckily the neighbor came who had a crush on my on my uh on my ex because he really was the one who cut the umbilical cord and did all the did all the work i was just taking up space um at the birth really at birth yep so there was no connection to her um even at that point because you know that that thing that's supposed to happen yeah that bonding that's supposed to happen i I was not present for yeah, it so yeah you can't get through that fog yeah and so things get worse um i'm getting drunk more using more cheating on her and then my buddy moves out he gets a two-bedroom place because he knows i'm gonna be following shortly after um and that's what happened so we go and we move there um while that while i did that um we're still kind of like trying to work things out i'm watching my daughter when she goes out and does stuff so we're not we don't have any court thing but we're trying to i guess co-parent yeah before before that was actually a thing or or, or a buzzword um and so she gives me her vehicle to drop him off at the airport on a, on a, uh, cause they're going up for Christmas to her family's house. And she lets me use her truck or her Pathfinder. Doesn't tell me that the, the insurance lapsed on it. So Christmas Eve, I go out to a club, uh, Rum Jungle, I think it was. And I'm partying and taking GHB and I feel good when I leave. And all of a sudden as I'm going, I remember taking the the turn to go to Flamingo Boulevard towards uh, Boulder Highway. And that's the last thing I remember. Next thing that happens is I hit a, a light pole and it tacos the, the, the vehicle. A little bit to the left or the right, I would have ran right into a, a liquor store. Mm. So got saved there um but what happened afterwards somehow i didn't end up getting hurt at all i popped right out ran across the street to get a, a gatorade at the 7-eleven and this clerk is like just is like, that the way the... you park <laughs> yeah it's like they like like you know you're trying to like piece it together like i just seen you hit that now you just popped out and you're coming over here it just didn't make sense right well, it wouldn't make sense because I was coming out because I needed another cap of GHB to process this. I'm like, fuck, what did I just do? I need to get high so I could deal with it. And so I did, and I blacked out again. 
woke up down the street. I had walked to a drive-through and it wasn't open, but I was like nodding in and out, staring at the uh, menu. And um, I'm like, oh my God, where am I at? Where am I at? And and this had been happening a lot. I, I had used GHB to the point where I had blacked out tons of times when I was driving. I just never, I would always come to like something. I don't even know how I, I came mm. to a lot of the times. You know, there was one time that I did it and there was an exit I was going to take and I ended up eight exits down, which is probably like 10 or 15 miles. Like, how did I, how did you do that? So I don't know. Um, a lot of that happened, but this time it, it, it actually got me in the ass. So um, she, there's a whole other story that goes on to that. Um, we're going to, we're going to gloss over it. I, I got a, a $90 ticket from that. Really? Because when the cops came, they can't, there's no detection, right? There's no alcohol. And so they just thought that I had head trauma from the accident. Mm. And I just said, Oh, I was tired. I was coming home. Was, you know, was, whatever. I used that same one before and got away yeah. with it. So Fell asleep. I, yeah. I used it again and it worked again. Um, and so they took me to the hospital. I bolted as soon as they, they let me go or as soon as I got there, I just took off. Um, and then what ensued from that was my ex was like, Oh my God, she, I ended up costing her like 20 grand because that car was totaled and she didn't have insurance. insurance. She had my rights. She petitioned the courts to take my rights away as a father, uh, you know, uh, my parental rights. Right. Um, I had gotten a DUI, um, and after that, right. So I ended up getting a DUI and some time has passed between here and here and now, um, you know, maybe a few months, six months I'd went to, um, no, that wasn't when that happened. So I get petitioned when I'm in jail, I get served to show up at court to contest it. And I just didn't, I was partying the day the court was, and I was like, ah, she's better off without me anyways. And I don't have to pay child support anyways. If you do this, I, I'm out, I'm, I'm off the hook. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I'm like, fuck it. All right. I'm out. Fine. And she was 18 months. The last time I saw her proceeded to move to, um, uh, I have a job somehow. I don't know how I kept that job, but I got an opportunity to open a branch down in uh, Phoenix, Arizona, from Las Vegas to Phoenix. And I'm like, oh, that's a great idea. I'll just do a geographical and my problems will be fixed. Well, stayed drunk the whole time I was there, ended up blowing that job, had to come back, moved in with some friends. Um, and, you know, that I could, like I was, they all looked up to me. So it was like, you know, I, I placed myself in, in places where, I was the one that could be in control. Hmm. And so, you know, I was, and, you know, I was using them too, uh, for whatever. Um, I had now, this is the part like in my story that I got confused because the more I tell it, the more it, it gets like, Oh, the actual timeline puts itself together. Right. Hmm. And so I had hooked up with a stripper. Um, well, I know that they're getting ready to move and I know that I need a job and I don't have one. And so where do I know where to find women that I can manipulate and use strip clubs. Yeah. And they're usually easy to get because they're, they're broken too. Right. 
Um, and so what I did is I went and I got a job as a bouncer at a strip club, um, started working there. They move. There's one more before this. I'm not doing meth or anything right at this point. I hook up with her. She lives right down the street from them. Um, I go to her house. The first time I, I walk in, I knock on the door, I open it. She's there rolling a pipe and smoking meth, not even tripping that I, that I'm like, not even trying to hide it from me. And I'm like thinking, Oh, turn around, turn around, turn around as I'm walking to it. And I take it. So I'm not full blown yet. I, you know, I, I'm, I'm working her. So I'm having to, you know, I don't know, get this relationship to be a relationship and, and make her want to want to tell me I can come move in. But I didn't want to make it seem like that's what I wanted. So what I did is when they moved, I went and and, and picked the, the shittiest uh, weekly that I can find roach infested uh, hotel mm. by the by the club that I work at. Excuse me. And bring her over so she can see. And she's like, oh, we got to get you out of here. Why don't you yeah. come move in with me? And so that ends up happening. Uh, I lose the job at the strip club because there's conflict of interest. Mainly it was because the, the owner of the strip club didn't didn't like the fact that I was playing with. He couldn't get her. Uh -huh. So, so you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fire you because I, I'm going to take it out on her. Yeah. And so that happened. And from that point on, I started uh, dealing with some other people in the meth game and started really buying ounces uh, at a time and just really getting into the into the game i started a criminal enterprise out there where i was paying um guys that were slamming dope in cat in 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 dope to go and do smash and grabs and burglaries and everything else for me mm. um and i would give them the truck and i would give them the drugs and they would go and and, and get all this shit, bring it back from guns to um it's just all kinds of stuff man the guy that I was dealing with ended up getting busted, set me up with a CI, and I ended up doing five controlled buys um, with an undercover. Uh, up to this point, I knew something funky was going on, and I knew like my time was up. I could just feel it. It was like in the air, you know? Yeah. Like, Spotty senses. Yeah. I'm like, ah, oh, man, I need to get rid of these guns. So I got rid of all the, the illegal ones that I had, except for one, you know, and all of them have serial numbers filed off of them. So mm -hmm. each one of those guns would have right. carried five years. Yep. Um, and we're, in, and we're in Nevada. So, I mean, those, those laws are, are harsh. Um, and so I, I get rid of them and like three days later and I'm counterfeiting now too. I'm counterfeiting hundred dollar bills and, and, all kinds of stuff. I figured out how to, to, to do more kind of fraudulent stuff, uh, even hanging paper, like making checks and IDs. I'm just starting to do that here too. Um, because I'm getting, I'm, I'm starting to like broaden my horizons of, of things that I know how to do, hmm. uh, in the criminal world, because I don't know, for some reason I just, I couldn't sleep. So I might as well do something with the time. <laughs> New hobbies. Right. Yeah. And so, about three days after I get rid of all the guns, um, I'm working on a hundred dollar bill in the back room. The stereo that I have has, is ridiculous because of all the shit that gets fenced to me. I've got like 30 speakers hooked up surround sound. You know, it's about three o'clock in the morning. It's pretty loud. My girlfriend and her friend are asleep in the other room. I don't know how they fell asleep, but they were, um, 
I'm in the back room working on a hundred. I got a friend there and all of a sudden I just hear boom, 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 boom. and I'm like, Whoa, drive by. <laughs> Cause the door was shut and I was listening to cops. So I didn't think it was cops. I couldn't hear anything. And so I had this one gun. It's a small one, like a little Derringer. I grab it and I open the door. It's smoke and fucking all that shit in, in there. And I have it by my by my leg and I'm going down the hallway and at the end of the hallway to the right is one of those big screen TVs the old projection ones that we used to have that were like six feet tall and 3,000 yeah. pounds yeah that was right there and the door couldn't open all the way because it hit the edge of it and so they can't see me but I have the gun and I'm looking around the corner and I see the SWAT shields and like and I I ditch the gun behind the TV and one in one movement, I throw it behind the TV. I dive on the ground and have my hands behind my head. If they would have seen that gun, they would have killed me. Yeah. We wouldn't be talking. That was the fifth time I almost died in this up to this point. Three times prior to that were of overdoses. Um, and one other time was when I ran into the, uh, to the tele, the lampo. Yeah. All right. So that's five times up now. Um, and so they, uh, they arrest me. I take the blame for everything. Cause I have it set up to where, um, I have the keys to where all the illegal shit's happening and locks on it. And I'm the only one with the keys. And they, they went and checked everybody's keys to make sure like my girlfriends and her friend who was staying there that none of them could. So they, that matched. So they let them off. Mm. Uh, I went to jail, um, so and they didn't find the gun because when they threw a flashbang in uh which they thought that since the tv was on and they could hear it they thought that that's where i was that's why mm -hmm. they concentrated it into that room yeah the living room um the i live near nellis air force base so they had double pane glass windows and i tinted the inside of that window right with the silver stuff so it's at, at during the daytime it's just a mirror yeah. Yeah. And so they did it. It went through the first pane, but wouldn't make it past the second one because of the, the tent and it bounced back and blew up on them. Oh, and their police dog bit one of the officers cause it scared them. So they, when they came in, they already pissed at me. Yeah. I started mouthing up. I was hogtied. They picked me up two of them you know, and ran me right into the, uh, into the, uh, big screen TV and it pushed it up over the, uh, over the gun, gun. Uh, and so got away with that they didn't find any of the drugs or any of the money because i had it all hidden in a vcr tv combo that was up in the corner above where the dogs could smell ah uh, and so when i came back everything they anything. didn't the girlfriend didn't know where it was nobody knew where it was so when i came back it was all there. all there so i was able to liquidate uh the drugs real quick um and move the operation somewhere else uh did that and got out three days later, mind you, because I didn't have any uh, any priors, no felonies or nothing. So they let me out on my own recognizance, which was crazy. I'm like, oh, I thought I was fucking done. Um, and as soon as I got out and I came back and all my stuff was there, I said, you know what? You're going to have to catch me if you can. I'm not turning myself in. Yeah. Fuck you. Uh, and so I went on the run, uh, got a new place, started, uh, started the operation again. Wasn't selling drugs this time, but was... Uh, still had people that ha were giving me stuff uh to work with right um and in the uh in the fraud game 
I'd figured out something, um, which I had never gotten in trouble for. And I don't, I don't know what the statute of limitations is on it. So I don't want to really talk about it, but what it was is I figured out how to take my operation on the road and do some, uh, um, some wire transfer pickups, uh, and thousand dollar increments and, and able to make the IDs, uh, on the road as I'm going, it, it was a whole thing. Like I had so much information that this person had given me that I was able to, fail and like like try so many different things until i figured out what worked and even though i was burning the information i had so much of it that it didn't matter so i i figured it out and i went on a on a journey um probably a seven state no not seven i i we ended up in amarillo texas when we ran out of out of meth and uh had to couldn't find any couldn't went to the strip club couldn't find any so we ended up crashing for like three days uh. and and uh down there and then did the same thing going back up so i came back with about anywhere from i think it was about i'm gonna say almost like 40 grand i said 50 at one point but i I think it was more like 40. um and our roommate at the time had thought that we were going because i didn't tell her what we were doing but she had told her friend that we were like going to buy a bunch of drugs or something he was a hang around with the hell's angels and so he had told like the person that he was hanging with because he was trying to make his bones to get in mm-hmm. that oh there's a big shipment of whatever coming back and so when we got back and she, and i knew something was up because she kept calling and she never asked anything and she was like hey when are you guys gonna be back when are you guys gonna be back and i'm like ah something's up and so i went and, and hid the money somewhere came back and sure as shit we start getting high and dude pulls out a gun and puts us on the ground and separates me and my girl the stories match and i end up saying hey look you know what what you're doing is stupid if you really want to know how to make some money you should i started showing him some stuff i'm like look these are the social security cards i make these are the ids and i make it's chill let's do some real stuff all I was trying to do though was manipulate him and Jedi mind trick his ass to get him the fuck out of the house. Right. Yeah. Right. Survival. And yep. And so he did. He bought it. Uh, I let him walk off with a Cannondale uh, by a you know expensive mountain bike and a couple of other things, <laughs> and uh, you know that that satisfied him. Well, it didn't satisfy me because I wanted to kill him now. And I went and bought a, a shotgun and an assumed identity that I had, had created and gotten credit cards and was able to, um, was able to, uh, like, this is like, I don't know if there was the beginning of identity theft, but I'd figured out how to do some things. And I got him, I, I used this guy's identity, got some credit cards in my name, um, had rented the car to go down to, um, to, you know, on the road. Uh, it was a Durango, so I had enough room to be able to work in the back and do some other stuff as my girlfriend was driving. And I still had it. Uh, went down to Big Five and purchased a shotgun. Picked it up a day later, and I was going to kill this dude. Mm. Literally, I was going to kill him. And I had made a mistake, though, because I'm still cheating on my girlfriend. Uh, had been up to a while. Uh, you know, she's just kind of putting up with it. Because um, I'm supplying the drugs and, you know, I'm the, um, she's probably using me as I'm using her. And I get caught 
caught up. I want to go screw this chick. And so I go and get a hotel room. The first night I pay cash. The second night I use the credit card and the ID. And I didn't realize that in Vegas, if you're at a weekly, they, they shoot your information information to Metro to make sure you're not a fugitive or anything else. Mm. And so when they ran the ID, it showed up as a black dude. I ain't black. <laughs> so, um, yeah, uh, they, they tell me that the room's not going to be ready for about three hours and I didn't think anything of it. I went and picked up that shotgun uh, right after that and then came back and they were waiting for me. So divine intervention, maybe, I think so. Um, it saved me from, it, it stopped me, allowed me to pause and not get in no more trouble. And it saved me from killing somebody yeah. because that's where my mind was. You know, and, and I was I would stay up three days at a time working and, and doing this stuff because meth for me was like I had ADHD and I didn't know it. So meth really focused me right. and allowed me to like become like Bradley Cooper and Limitless. Yeah. Right. I could like superpowers. I could just like I could see things in a different way. And anyways, so I get busted. Um, it's the same guy that that, that came to the. uh uh, to the per first residence when I got busted, the fraud and forgery guy. And he's like, oh, oh, I knew you'd pop up sooner or later. I'm like, I bet you did. I'm like, I'm tired, man. I just want to go to sleep, bro. Uh, can we get this, get the, get the show on the road and get me into processing so I can go hurt and get my bed and go to bed? And uh, he's like, yeah, but first we're going to, I know you got tons of stuff, man. I remember what we processed in the last place you had, and I know you probably are, you're doing things even differently now. So you can take me to your house and give me everything you got. And I won't charge you for any of this shit here, or I'm going to charge you with everything. And you're still going to prison. Cause you got a, a you know, you've got a, a warrant out for your arrest. And I'm like, all right, sounds like a great deal to me. Call my girlfriend and say, Hey, we're on our way. Uh, I got busted and uh, I'm going to jail and probably won't be coming back out for a long time. So uh, I'll be there in about 10 minutes and go there get all the stuff, give him everything. Uh, he takes me and, and, uh, processes me in. Um, and what I didn't realize is that he had a secret service dude as a ride along. So the secret service guy picked up all the, all the, uh, all the federal charges, which were the firearm. And mm. there, there was a box that had 30 credit card numbers in it that I didn't know. I didn't know that that, that was even in there. And mm. so I got charged with those two. Um, go start fighting my case in, in, in the state, uh, work out a deal for, um, well, they're trying to hang me at two to 15 years for the, the drug charges. And I, it forced, and I, and I caught them in a lie. So it forced me to have to reach out to my mom and yet again, come bail me out. I need a lawyer. They're trying to put me in jail for 15 years. And, uh, of course I didn't say the two, um, and so she comes out, she does it. Uh, then I get indicted in the feds. And so they transfer me to the federal holding and um, I'm fighting my case doing that. Uh, I get two felonies that I've got, a, I pled to 18 months. And so I got 18 months in one and 18 months in the other. Uh, well, it was a 15 to 60 in the state. I paroled out in 18 months 
they picked me up and took me to Sheridan, Oregon to do my Fed time, which was another 18 months. And I ended up being able to go back to my mom's from there. Uh, the whole time, though, I didn't have enough time to program or to do anything. What people don't understand is when you go to prison, usually the programs are reserved for people that and there's waiting lists to get on and to get in. And the people that have longer time are the ones that are priority versus the people that are just like me. I, I, I got in, got comfortable, and it's time to go. You know, it's and that was on both spot, both spots. So, um, yeah, I didn't get a chance to address any of the behaviors that got me there. I got fit, looked good. That's about it, though. Um, ended up going back to my mom's, paroled out to there, uh, wasn't done. Got in, 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 I tried to do good, uh, got into my union, which I'm currently in now um, as an apprentice, uh, did some other jobs, got married um, to uh, AWALD from that for, well, there's that, that's, I'm going, going ahead right here. So I do all that. Um, I stay drunk for about six months, decompressing from the PTSD from being in prison and the segregation and you know it was kind of a shock coming back out because i'm not a racist person but when you're in there you you tend to start thinking the way that the group you're running with thinks right and so i had to uh decompress from that um started feeling guilt for you know some of the 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 things that i did while i was in there Hmm. to people you know that kind of had to i mean it was, you know, if you don't do it, you're going to get it. All right. Yeah. The survival. And, yep. And so all that started coming out and was dealing with that, um, was drinking to the point where I was having, you know, DTs from, from not, uh, I was drinking like a fifth a day and still I was keeping a shitty job, but enough to just deal with it. Um, figured I'm like, oh, dude, you got to stop. You got to stop. This is crazy so i went and i kicked it on my own stopped drinking cold turkey went through the went through all the sickness and everything else which somebody said that you, that was dangerous for, that i did mm-hmm. so i wouldn't i wouldn't uh suggest doing that to anybody else that's listening to this um i just got lucky and got off of that started doing better uh so went to aa met met the girl that became my wife she was in the program mm-hmm. um got into the union started doing good working making good money um still going in the program uh started with aa like i said uh i just i didn't like it because it was too clicky for me it was real it was a little like high school all over again yeah and there's there's always the you know the guy that and and not to not to down the program man whatever it takes to get you sober but this was just my experience in it. right yeah um you know there's always that guy that's the grandstander that's you know has this you know would talk about how great the program is. It's always the same fucking people talking at the, at the, at the meetings. It's the same thing all the time, at least the ones that I went to. And I was like, well, I just didn't like it. And I'm like, dude, there's nothing. None of these people are going to be able to tell me that I haven't already heard from the programs that I've already been in. And so I stopped going to their 2008 hit and the uh, financial crisis put me out of work. Um, but I was making four, uh, 450 a week, which is the max, which I'd never gotten that before. And so time plus money plus boredom equals nothing good. Yeah. 
she's at work all day and i knew because i grew up in the area i knew who the tweakers were and so i just started hanging out and going by old places and spaces and before i know it back on the road again hook up with some of the people that i know from uh sacramento that i was dealing with uh, before i went to prison and left the, the area and uh, i knew that there was this thing out there that i wanted to do and it was called credit card fraud and it was called, actually there's a name for it it's called carding hmm. and so i reached out to somebody and said hey this is what i'm looking to do can you help me out do you know anybody who's who's doing that networking right same thing you would do if you were running a business yeah and so he he did and he he put me together i mean this dude became like best friends uh another one of those things that, that doesn't happen very often with dudes yeah you know if you can if you're a guy and you can count how many times in probably on one hand that you click with somebody where you're just like you gel yeah and it's like a bromance and so he taught me everything he knew uh to the point where the people that he'd been dealing with was like who the fuck is this dude coming in jealousy started mm. you know what i mean because everybody wanted this dude's attention and here i am this this Get new me. person that just got all of his attention and has is making decisions now yeah you know for what's yep. going to happen where we're going and what we're going to do and uh because that's just i'm a, I, I was a leader my whole life i just led people in the wrong direction and used my abilities for bad rather than good so he teaches me how to do all this shit. and so we're making credit cards like from blank plastic with a with a mag stripe on the back to full-blown um bank uh, and, and not even like the ones that you see, like Swiss bank, where we just made our own templates and printed these cards. We had the embosser. So we would bang out the numbers. We were buying all the information from, uh, from, uh, the dark web, um, you know, using Bitcoin back before Bitcoin, Bitcoin was only 10 bucks a, a coin back then. Yeah. I didn't even know. I, we probably lost a bunch of Bitcoin cause we, you know, never claimed it and just forgot all about it. Maybe, I don't know. Um, so we were doing all of this, right? And we had, I mean, we were doing it on a big scale too, man. Um, and we would take the information, we would use it. We knew how to get into people's, um, we would be able to get the numbers, figure out where their bank was, figure out what their last four of their socials were and call their bank to see what, what the available balances were hmm. on all these cards. So we you know, knew what we could use and do what. We had a place where we were pressing everything out and making the making the information making the cards and where we were gathering all the information so if one went down we still we didn't lose everything and so i mean this was i guess you could call it like a, a syndicate yeah in 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 a certain sense and so we were doing this and i and, and i went awol for my marriage i i literally just bounced see you and, yeah, see you. Didn't answer the phone, didn't do nothing. I was gone for three months. And I went from there. Or I, I think I started I started in my area where I was uh, before I hooked up with him, but I'd already left the relationship, um, the marriage. But I, I was doing check stuff and making IDs and all that stuff, hanging paper again. And I had guys in, in another area working for me again, right? And then I moved into that. And then from that, we just kind of dispersed because it was getting too hot. Uh, he wanted to go 
try and be with this girl um, that he fell in love with, whatever, uh, trying to change his life and do a geographical. And uh, I'm like, all right, well, then I had to go crawling back to my hmm. my wife, right? And that's when everything kind of changed because all of my games, all of my manipulations, everything that I had like bet the house on, because up to this point, and I'm and I'm double dipping from from uh, unemployment, so I racked up a huge bill there. I literally thought I was either gonna die or I just didn't care. Hmm. And looking back on it. From the time that that I can remember, that's all I was trying to do anyways, was trying to kill myself. I just didn't have the guts to do it the right way. I wanted to have fun, and, and maybe if I overdosed and didn't wake up, that wouldn't be such a bad thing, right? Because I didn't like me. And that's why credit card fraud was so appealing to me, because here's this thing where I don't have to be me. Yeah, I could be whoever I want, you know, and, and go and, and, and act as if I am. And that's what I was doing. I was acting because I, I knew all of your information. And so I could tell you what your address was, what your social was, what your what your ID number was, uh, your phone number. You know, I could say tell you everything about you because I almost like for a role in a movie, I would start memorizing all this information when I'm starting to use it. And, and you do, do this just so you could go roll around and do what you wanted to do. Is that what you would do with the credit cards? Just go play and be just live life up by and just charge stuff to the cards. Or no, we there... were, no, we were buying stuff like, uh, this was like around the time when the, uh, the best buy started doing, they rolled out their buy online, pick up in store. Uh-huh. And so we were, we were, uh, ordering, um, MacBook pros because, Apple products never go on sale. Yeah. And so we could damn near charge the price that we were getting them for minus like two or 400 bucks. And so we were making, you know, on a $2,600 laptop, we were making about two grand to 2,200. Yeah. So you would buy the product. It wasn't your money that you were buying it with and you turn around and sell them. Mm -hmm. And then we would get some, sometimes that we would, some of these things that we buy came with pin numbers. And so you know, we would just have to, you know, make sure we weren't seen walking up to the, uh, ATM. To the tele ATM and literally would go and hit one ATM, another one. Like we found hate street has a bunch of ATMs on that one street, maybe like 10 of them. And so we would just run from one to the next to the next, taking out the maximum amount in cash until it stopped. Yeah. And then I tried again in a day. And some of them will work, some of them wouldn't. So, I mean, it was just methodology to what we were doing. Yeah. Um, I was just curious. That, I don't have any experience in any of that. Uh, and like whether if you were, you know, you ultimately return a lot of it into cash, either by buying things and reselling them or actually yeah. hitting ATMs for, for cash and withdrawing uh, cash advances or whatever off of the credit cards. Well, we couldn't do the cash advances off of them, but we could definitely, uh, and, and I didn't try doing it. I know that he was doing it in the, in the Indian casinos and yeah, that's maybe advance is not the right word, but you were withdrawing cash off of credit cards for the most part or bank cards. I guess some bank, of them probably bank, were yeah, actually some debits, of them were bank cards. So they actually come out of people's accounts. It wasn't, it wasn't uh, a line of credit, but yeah, now that, that one is, you know, when I think about it, because when you're when you're doing the credit card one, a lot of the times the banks would catch it before the the, the 
person would even know. Yeah. Right. And that's really easy to, you know, to dispute. Now the, the taking straight cash out of people's accounts, that one's a little harder to dispute, but at some point they're going to, you're going to get your money back because the banks, the bank is, is, uh, insured. And right. if you didn't do it and you can prove it, then, you yep. know, and a lot of the times what we would do is we would use cards from other areas because they're low, they have to report it to their local lie, their local agency, Right they're not going to tell the agency here. There's just too much involved in that. So if we were using cards that were in our area, we would be easier to be caught because the local agencies start investigating it. And so it's really easy for them to prove, well, I was at work in, in Iowa. How was I in San Francisco yeah. doing this? So, I mean, you know, it, it, it was a justification to like why it was okay basically and so yeah yes because you'd say them people aren't getting hurt they're going to get their money back no big deal and the banks screw everybody all the time right. so who cares yeah and so anyways that got disbanded i went back um and i'm still on federal supervised release while i'm doing all this mind you right yeah and i've already done one violation um and i did a 90-day treatment center uh a men's men's treatment center and i manipulated my way through that the whole time uh, i ended up because my buddy was we're all fraud people and so i just called him up and said hey man uh let's let's act like i'm going to work for your your shell company uh so i got a job while i'm in this rehab and i have to leave every day and so that worked out and i was leaving every day getting high going and doing crime and then coming back because i had my truck there too um when nobody else had a vehicle, but I did. So here I am standing out amongst everybody else again, yeah. special person, um, you know, which feeds into that narcissistic kind of uh, shit that goes on when, when you get put in elevated in positions like that, still manipulating, getting worse, <laughs> or maybe it just got to the point. I think this is where it kind of ends. Um, and so, yeah, I do the violation, do that, get kicked out. Uh, I was dirty, but I had uh, synthetic urine on me. I always carried it on me. <laughs> and so I, I, uh, I clean, I pissed clean, but they knew something was up. My PO knew something was up. She's like, ah, fuck that. Or I'm yeah. violating you again. You didn't successfully complete it. I only had nine days left to go to. Um, that one, that one always burned me. <laughs> uh, so I go back, um, I tried to, you know, tell my girlfriend, um, this, this is where kids, cause there's a lot that went on in this period of time. Um, so this is where sometimes I, I mix up timelines. Uh, but the bottom line was, is that I had 90, I had uh, six weeks to turn myself in. I pissed dirty again and they were like, whatever. I ended up on new year's day, 2010. I go to Best Buy to pull one of my things that I was doing, been up for three days working on this card and some other things that I was doing. Um, and I, I did something. I, I, I ran it through the heat, uh, heat press and I picked, I grabbed it and my thumbprint imprinted in the front of it. And I didn't, I still did it anyways. I didn't think that they were going to pay attention to it, but they caught it. And so I was going to pick up a TV, uh, like a big screen um, a TV, which I didn't need. I had probably four or five of them sitting in my hallway in a box still that needed to be sold. I had computers that needed to be sold. 
I was just addicted to the rush. Mm-hmm. And, you know, another thing that I'm like, oh, you know, something that's going to make me feel good. I get it, man. I understand. I don't want to be me. I hate <clears throat> me. Yep. And yeah, so was, uh, part of my story and my downfall was breaking in houses, stealing pain medication. And mm-hmm. I would, even when I wasn't successful and I realized, you know, there was some, something to that adrenaline rush of doing it was part of the deal. It wasn't just the acquisition of what I was after. I would get yeah. some fulfillment just from the rush of doing that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And so where are we at here? Um, yeah, I get busted and go to jail. So they caught it from the thumbprint help, but yeah. So what they did, they, so anybody who's ever doing any kind of fraud or check, you know, fraudulent check stuff, the person in front of you should never have a reason to leave. The moment they have to go in the back is the moment you walk away. Yeah. Cause the cash register, you know, normal transactions, we just walk up, we do our deal. I leave, but they say, wait a minute, sir. I'll be right back. Yep. And I'm like, I counted to like 10 and I'm like, I'm gone. I start walking out. Um, I see, I don't know how the cops got there so damn quick, but they're coming in as I'm going out and mm-hmm. I go around some cars. They come around this way. Um, I take my, I, my wallet, I throw it under a car and I walk, I'm starting to walk towards my truck, um, which they, I, I don't think they realized that it was my truck because they caught me before that. Then they would have known who I was because it was registered in my name. Um, they stopped me and I know this person's all of this information. They're asking me who I am. Um, I give them the information. Everything matches up. They're about to let me go and they retrace my steps and a cop's looking under the, under everything and they find the wallet uh. And the wallet has seven different IDs with seven different credit cards. Um, and I'd been using so many people's information for so long that I forgot my own. Mm-hmm. When they asked me who I was um, and what my, um, what my social security was, I'm like, I don't know, man. I, I fuck. I don't know what my social security is. I, they, then they spread out the, uh, the IDs and they said, which one of these is you? Is really you. And I didn't have, I didn't have my ID on there either. I mean, I knew what my name was, but I, I couldn't you know, tell them a whole lot. So they had to wait until they booked me to find out who I really was. Um, yeah. That's, then, you know, uh, we use this term for recovery and we say it's to find that which was lost or stolen, like to recover some piece of property or recover whatever, you know, and premises is that I'm, what I'm really doing is, is, is finding and recovering what this really is, my true essence and my true soul, who I really am. And uh, what you laid out there is like almost a uh, uh, epitome of like, losing yourself you you truly lost yourself you know you didn't know who you were anymore yeah no that's a great that's a great point so i go to jail my po um which is a woman uh she somehow the the state doesn't want to press charges because i'm on supervised release and they know that they'll never see any time any of that time anyways because the feds supersede everything and yeah. so they don't they don't charge me with it and i was like Woo, got, yeah i got off, i got off with that i mean that's that's like seven i mean there's a whole bunch of stuff in there that they could have nailed me on and they don't i don't know if it's because my 
family. My uncle is, you know, in the area, used to be law enforcement, still kind of is. I don't know. He used to work for the DA's office too. So I don't know if any of that took, it was the reason why or not. Um, but I got lucked out. So I get sent, uh, I don't know what's it. So that's when I get, that's when I get sent to the, to the rehab, right? When I get in trouble for that because the the po is a woman and i go in and i start crying and say i got a problem and i can't uh she buys it and lets me go and do this treatment center i fucked that up which we are prior ex explained that one um and then i've got six weeks I, I get another dirty and i got six weeks to turn myself in um to go to county jail for a 90-day uh, violation my girlfriend at the time, I'm like trying to convince her that, oh, it's going to be different this time, you know, because she lets me in. But I'm trying to, oh, yeah, I'm going to change. I'm going to change, you know, song and dance, the story of my life. It's going to be different. I promise. Well, my word ain't worth shit, yeah. right? So I've, I've broken how many promises up to this yeah. point in my life? I mean, if the promise is just a, a, a tool right. at this point, doesn't mean anything. Uh, so I'm on a high speed chase with her during traffic. Um, because I'm trying to convince her that it's going to be different. So my life is really slipping away from me and I'm grasping at everything, trying to fucking use every little thing that I know how to do manipulation, bullying tactic that, you know, whatever used to work for me for everybody else is not working right now. And so I'm like fucking having a panic attack. Like, what am I going to do? And so I'm chasing her. She realizes that if she doesn't pull over, I'm either going to kill myself or somebody else. Uh, she does. Uh, I we're on a on a highway um, where there's uh, lots of traffic because we're in rush hour, and she uh, we were on a high speed and then we hit the rush hour and then that's kind of why we had to pull over. She pulled over. She knew that what was going to happen, and so we do. I I I'm trying to convince her that it's all going to be different, and I just break down, man. I just it, it's like everything just becomes so much. Like I'm holding up so much shit on my back. It's like a, it's this culmination of years of, of being a Tasmanian devil. And, and like the wake of, of my destruction is like becoming like, that's all the rear view mirror is, is all just, just bad shit. And I can't look back. I, I, I don't know what's going to happen looking forward. And it just all comes crashing down right there at that moment. At that point in time, mm. I fall to my knees. I'm fucking crying uncontrollably while people are just passing by watching. And what I remember the most about that is I, I, I've started floating up above myself and, and I'm looking down at me and I'm just thinking like, you pathetic fuck. You know what I mean? You're just, you're down. You're like a little, you're like a little, little kid crying like a baby, you know, cause, cause shit ain't working out for you. And, uh, from that point on, I went and did my time. I stopped using drugs from that moment. Cause I knew that I was going to be going to a facility that I had no idea what was going to happen. So I didn't want to be kicking and being vulnerable while I was in that position. And so I stopped doing that. I stopped smoking, went to my time, got out, started hanging out with different people. Um, not in the program at all. Uh, did, didn't even mess with that. And there's nothing, I'm, I was the kind of manipulator that I would go into a room and be that person that could speak eloquently and do all of the sayings and all of can can weave talk together to some yep can weave together some some you know profound shit and get all the attention from it oh you know but not mean a damn word that i said so i didn't even bother messing with that i already know it was going to happen there 
but what I did do is I started playing adult slow pitch softball. And this is going to sound really funny. It was something I had to show up for. It was something I was having fun doing. Uh, and I was meeting people. I mean, some of them might've done drugs, but I don't know. That's, that's, I didn't know that. And so it got me away from, from all the bad things. Um, I started, you know, I was still, I was going to work again, you know, back, you know, in the, in the union doing what I need to do, uh, making good money. And so this life started forming, um, and, and opening itself up to me. I didn't like the league that I was playing in. So I was like, well, I want to start my own league then. How am I going to do that? figured it out i did it it was successful and it was the first time that i'd ever set a goal in a positive direction and reap the benefits of that feeling that it gives you yeah which is what builds your self-esteem it builds Mm -hmm. your confidence because you can be proud of it and you can talk about it versus what i was doing in the other direction was was i was making accomplishments but there's nothing i could talk about yeah you know, there's nothing that I could be proud of. And so from there, I just started leveling up and well, if I can do that, well, let me try this. And if I did that and completed that and well, let me try this. And before I knew it, I was, uh, you know, on the rowing team for my, my union, you know, I'm making good connections there. I was a sergeant at arms, uh, did that for two years, uh, got onto the executive board, did that for two years, which is, an, these are all elected positions. Uh, got on the, the, the trustee to even running for a business agent position in 2018, I believe, or 2019, no, I think it might've been 2019. So, I mean, I'm doing all these things, you know, and leveling up and leveling up and leveling up. Um, but what ended up happening is I got an injury playing softball and I ended up on a, a opiate addiction, uh, for seven years and but it didn't it didn't affect my life like meth did i Mm. could still be functional like i was still progressing and doing all these great things um while taking pills and and everything else uh what i haven't mentioned at this point is that the whole time that i'm in all these different relationships i'm being an abusive person meaning that like i was bullying i would shove i would shove my partners i'd throw them on the bed i would do everything that i could without marking them up and getting in trouble for it Mm -hmm. um and you know it was verbally i was mentally and i was uh uh what's that called emotionally abusive and it all played into me if if you if you're not going to go along with what i need you to go along with then i'm gonna i'm gonna bend your will till you do and if if you piss me off and i can't hit you because i don't want to go to jail then i'm gonna beat the shit out of you with my words. And that's just how I rolled. And it wasn't until my last relationship with my, my uh, four-year-old daughter, which she's almost four, she'll be four in, uh, in August. Um, that was the last time uh, that I did that. And that was about maybe two and a half years ago. Hmm. Um, and so, So I'm doing all this good stuff and, you know, I'm getting all these things, uh, but I'm having problems with my relationship um, and kind of lost where I was. But the the point was, is that I was doing really well. I was figuring out how to get to where I need to get to and do the things I need to do. I stopped using the pills 
uh, about six months prior to me starting the podcast. So the podcast started in May of 2019. Um, I I mentioned something in 2019. Well, I think it was May of 2019 because it'll be two years in in uh, May of this year. So six months prior to that. So yeah, I mean, give or take, give or take something. Yeah, I always tell people when they're on there, I was like, you know, because I can't make my timeline work. I just can't. I'll just say, look, if you would lay it out, the timeline doesn't work. So I'll just give it to you the way that I. <laughs> I remember, I remember it or it. pieced it together. Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, in in I, I'm doing all this stuff. I'd moved out a few times. Uh, you know, she can't take the abuse um, that I'm giving out and. I'm just living this life that, you know, uh, that I don't like either. And I started listening to podcasts. I don't remember when it was, it was 2015, but, uh, I started listening to Joe Rogan. Me too. And yeah. And I, uh, I was listening to it in my earbuds and cause in my trade, we work alone. Yeah. And so I have, you know, usually anywhere from 10 to 14 hours a day, depending on how far my commute is, because it, it always changed. Um, I would be listening to it all day from the time I left to the time I got home. And my mindset just just from listening to it and listening to him and, you know, all the times, hey, man, don't be a piece of shit. Don't do that. Don't do that. You know, I don't know, man. There was just something about listening to him, which led me to Jordan Peterson, which is another yeah. amazing person. Yeah. Which I'm a read, rabbit yeah. hole, Jordan Peterson, rabbit hole guy. I'm in that yeah. rabbit hole deep. And, and met Sam Harris, um, Sam Tripoli, uh, which Sam Tripoli is, is, well, actually it, it was, it was the conspiracy farm podcast, which led me to Sam Tripoli with Sam Tripoli has a tinfoil hat podcast, which he's going to be on tomorrow. Oh, wow. Very cool. Yeah. I'm excited about that. Or actually, is it? No, it's today. Today's Sunday, huh? Today yeah, it's, today at, it's today at 430. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, don't. Oh, man. I, I, I was crazy when the pandemic first started, man. I was doing 16 interviews in two days. Whoa. Yeah, I, I built it out like it was a like it was a job with a an hour lunch in between, hmm. and people were just eating it up, man. They because no one had anything to do. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. So I I I got buried in content because of that, and I don't suggest if you're a podcaster doing that. That does yeah. that is not a good idea. Um, but anyways, so I was going down these rabbit holes, and my mindset started changing. It started shifting, right? Because I'm listening to all this stuff, and so I started realizing that not only is it important what you put in your mouth and, and, and sustain your body with, it's important what you listen to and it's important what you see because mm -hmm. all of that plays a huge part in, and if you want to become a better person, then you got to really start paying attention to what you're putting into what, what you're inputting, right? Yeah. Cause what yeah. you're inputting is going to be a direct correlation to what you're outputting. Right. And call, so, you know, it's part of my diet, you know, it's not just the, the nutrition thing it's uh feeding my mind and my soul you know and and putting stuff in i'm a pro i'm a product of the same thing i just started diving into listening to stuff and at some level i got brainwashed into a better way of living you know by listening to people talk about yeah. better way of living that's true yeah and and so i started listening to this doing this like two years three years 
And then he started saying, you should start a podcast. And, you know, anybody that's gone down rabbit holes and listens to podcasts knows that it's almost like you become friends with the host that you're the, that's your favorite show. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a one-sided friendship, but you really think they're talking to you. Yeah. And yep. he would say, you should start a podcast. And I was like, yeah, you know what? I should start a podcast. Cause I've been through all this shit. I have this fucking crazy story and I want to be able to tell it. I just don't know how to do it. And I'm too lazy to write a book and uh, you know, that's not going to happen. So yeah, let me right. figure out, let me figure out the quickest way that I could do it because there's that, you know, uh, manipulative mind uh, trying to figure out a way to get around doing shit and, and can do it the easiest way. And so I did, I, I, you know, got everything within six months, the artwork and, and named the show nowhere to go, but up because I mean, shit, who's better to talk about nowhere to go, but up than me. Yeah. I already, I lost everything three times, you know, I've started from zero three times. So that's perfect. And so I did the first six months and then uh, I, I try, I tried to convince myself for the next year that that imposter syndrome where now to no one wants to hear what you have to say. Who do you think you are going to be yep. able to talk to anybody? Go through um, the same thing. Yep. And at some point I just said, screw it and did it. Uh, it, w- it wasn't after till I started listening to Andy Frisella. Hmm, who's, not familiar uh, with him. Yeah. He had a podcast called the MF CEO, which is the motherfucking CEO oh. of your life. Oh. Right. And so he just talked to me in a way that like, just like how I pronounce that dude. I mean, it was just like that. He's speaking my language, man. I, I can, I, you know, cause I cuss all the time. I don't as, I don't as much anymore. Um, but I, I, but I, at that point I did like, you, you know, like, just like Rogan, I spoke the same language and it, uh, he started changing my mindset again. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to start it. And I did, uh, I think I'd split up with my ex at this point. Um, I was living with, uh, uh, my friend who I'd go, uh, crab fishing for a week every year. And, you know, he's like, Hey man, I'm split up with my wife too. And that whole story is crazy because they were best, they were good friends. And we ended up both, you know, leaving and, uh, living in our, our fifth wheels. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. Cause I got a 40 foot fifth wheel and I, uh, it's nicer than my first apartment. And so I, I, took that and I lived in that for a while and uh while trying I'll do the podcasting and while trying to to change uh my behaviors and learn and doing deep dives into myself and you know listening to other people's stories so I wanted to tell my story but I didn't want my story just to be the main focus because I felt like that was the wrong approach so instead I went and I wanted to hear other people's stories to let them tell their Mm-hmm. bottom or their life struggle and then as i related to it i would tell a little bit of my story and then i would save my real story for you know things like this you know other people's shows yeah you know my first episode that had you know where i qualified myself um and what ended up happening and i didn't realize you know is that i was healing through i was literally doing so in the program, I always got caught up on that fourth step. I never wanted to go past that fourth step. Mm-hmm. Right. And so what I ended up doing was I used the podcast to do my fourth step publicly. Wow. And so I would speak about the things in my past that I was ashamed of. 
right? You know, from when I was a kid and, and, you know, being exposed to porn at a young age and, you know, fucking around with other little kids and being the one that, that would, you know, try to do what I saw in the, in the pictures, you know, that I was looking at and it wasn't playboy. It was the, 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 the stuff. Right. And I mean, that shit haunted me for years because I questioned my sexuality. I questioned, I was ashamed of it. It was, you know, it was like, am, am I a molester? Am I, am I, you know what I mean? Am I yeah. like, like all that stuff came up. I never talked about it. And so that was, that came out, you know, being an abusive person um, and all the things that I had mentioned about the things I would do to my significant others, that's shame, all that shame and that pain from losing my daughter. I talk about that, you know? And so I was literally doing a, a, a four step and not even knowing it. And the more I talked about it, the more I took the power away from it. Mm-hmm the more I was able to move further along and heal from it. Yeah. And so, you know, that's what happened. And what made me stop being an abusive person was uh, my, me and my ex were having a fight. My daughter uh, was about two years old. She was behind me. Um, I was in a rage and um, I knew she was there and then she wasn't. And it, it, it snapped me out of whatever I was going like, Whoa, where'd she go? And I went and to go look for her. And she was in the furthest part of the house um, in a ball, crying, cowering. And so I uh, I started thinking back to my, like when I was a kid and like, I was like, man, I wonder if that's what I used to do when I was a kid and when my mom and dad were fighting. And it was impactful enough that I just broke down crying immediately um, thinking about that. And sometimes I still do now. Uh, it just depends on on, you know, what what factors of what i'm going through but yeah i mean it's still a a point of pain for me yeah. um, when i think about that and what i exposed her to and one more incident happened after that and where she was literally in the back seat and we're going at it we'd already split up we were taking her to go see santa trying to you know <laughs> be some sort of you know what i mean normalcy and we're going at it again and she just goes stop and she's only like two years old and so i was like whoa i'm like all right that's it, that's it nope no more no more and from that point on I, I i made the choice to to stop being that guy because now i've got eyes on me yeah you know and i don't give a fuck about the eyes any 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 eyes other than the ones that that are i'm forming you like these you're two three these are those important years where you start developing your personality and, and all that other stuff where things really affect you, even though we think they don't. Yeah. We they like do. to say they don't. And then later on in life, we like to say they didn't, that that doesn't bother me anymore. You know, I'm, I'm over that. The past is the past. It's water under the bridge. There's a million cliches that go along with mm -hmm. the way we try to, to bat that feeling away. What the truth really is, is it does form you and it does sit on your hard drive until you do something about it. Yep. Yep. And so I, I'm like, well, I have a responsibility, right? And if I'm going to be the one that stops the cycle, it's got to stop with me. Mm -hmm. And I, um, I chose to, to start working on it and talking about it. And the main thing was, though, is I didn't want her to end up down the road in life and be in that same situation that she was watching and go, oh, well, that's normal. Right. 
You know what I mean? Because that's what happens. It is. Everything gets normalized, and 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 that's what you think is supposed to happen. You know, even though in your soul you're thinking something's not right with this, but <clears throat> you go, "Hey, this is normal." It's the same rationalization and justification for the spot that you're standing in. Yep. And so I was like, "This is it. It's not going to happen. I'm not going to let it happen." And I was tired of being that guy, anyways, man. It was like I, I'm I'm slowly starting to break through um to find out who i really am and why i'm here because for a long time i didn't know yeah you know a long time i was either trying to kill myself or trying to uh, it, it was just like like when you when you look at the whole story and you back up and you just go like from the from the time i was you know eight nine years of set whatever that age is till the time i was literally in my 40s you know, let's just say maybe this was two and a half years ago. I'm 47. Um, so that was like 45. 45 is when I got sober. 45 you know? is when I, and I feel like I woke up then, you know, that it was mm -hmm. all a dream or some kind of sleep state, some fog up into then. And I really don't even feel like I matured, you know, if everything prior to that point felt like a little boy now looking in a mm -hmm. rearview mirror, you know, like I never did mature. I stayed at 12 years old or whatever mm -hmm. for that entire time. And then all of a sudden I'm, clean, sober, doing some work on myself. And, and, and I'm actually an adult all of a sudden, you know, and, and, and I don't know how to do that because I've never done that. You know, I, the adulting thing uh, dawned on me. I thought I was, I had myself kidded into thinking it because I was married for 17 years, had two kids, held a job for a long time. Uh, all that stuff looked like, you know, you look at that guy over and he looks like he's adulting, <laughs> but, but I really wasn't. So I get it. We were hit at the same time. And there's something to that. There's something to that time frame, that age range, because I see it like as I interview people on these podcasts, you know, uh, seems like there's two distinct groups. There's a group that hits it at 35 and there's a group that hits it at 45. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, it, it allowed me to see a lot of stuff, right? Because the more I'm, I'm talking to people and then the more I'm using, I'm leveraging the podcast to get people on that, to, to talk to me about some of the things that, that I struggle with like self-sabotage or anger or, you know, all of these things that, that like, I don't know, I, I know I do them, but I don't know why yeah. uh, or whatever it is. And so the podcast starts becoming a place where I start learning too, like therapy. Yeah. And I just, you know, I, I leverage it to, to get what I need. I mean, I guess you could call it, I, it's not manipulation at this point, but it's more, um, it's it's manifestation yeah it's manifestation but i mean you could kind of it, it's manipulation in the way that you should be manipulating because you're doing it for good instead of for bad yeah. right so you're you're lining things up you're you're you know looking for people that are going to help you right so i don't want to pay for for or can't afford to go and get a coach so the next best thing for me is okay well i'll put you on the show but what i want in return is i want some free shit like some free advice you know i may not have said that in those words or even like said that period but i mean that's what was in the back of my head mm -hmm. and then you know the the listeners are now going on a journey with me figuring me out and so another thing i didn't realize in podcasting because i you know i have i have guests mostly i don't i've never i've done one solo or two solos and that was it 
which I need to get back to doing it because by not doing it, I'm, I'm, I'm eliminating myself as an authority. Yeah. I'm allowing other people to come in and be the authority. And if I'm not speaking alone about it, then it's hard to, to, yeah. to I try to do up. one every once in a while, you know, I don't know. I don't really have a calendar, but I try to do one every quarter or so, you know, and I'm working on the third year of this podcast. Yeah. Uh, January 19 was when I launched it. And, uh, yeah. And I get a lot of good feedback from, you know, it's that imposter syndrome too. What am I doing sitting here talking, you know, nobody wants to hear me. Yeah. Uh, and, and, but when I actually do them, I get a lot of good feedback when I, I say usually a lot of times I don't want to call them Dan's musings and I, yeah. I just fire up the mic and I have some things on my mind or, you know, some, some things culminated to a point that I felt like I had content and and it would seem like also at that same time the universe would align it where i didn't have a guest because i made a commitment to do i don't know what you do but i do i made a commitment in january 2019 that i said i will do a minimum of one podcast and put new content out every week mm -hmm. uh, i missed a couple uh there in the COVID era when COVID fired up because i thought this thing was going to die <laughs> i didn't because yeah. uh, i do a lot of mine early guests are actually local okay. uh, and i have a little wood shop in my backyard and i converted into a podcast studio and nice. when COVID hit, I didn't, uh, you know, I, this Zoom and all that, I was not aware of any of those things until that period of time. So I couldn't understand, you know, I couldn't get my mind wrapped around how I could keep this podcast going uh, without having people come over. And, uh, but, you know, we, uh, we adapted. And, yeah, uh, yeah. but I, at those times, I wouldn't have a guest and I'd be like, man, I made a commitment to put out this content. So, okay, here we go. I will sit here and talk to myself for a little while. I have done a couple of them. I had somebody just sit there so I could talk to them. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That seemed to help a lot. If I just had a human in here, uh, it allows me to roll a lot better than just sitting here talking to the wall. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. Yeah. I think you should do more of them. Yeah, me, me too. It's, it's getting to the point where I'm like, you know, it's time um, that, you know, it just, it's, I speak, I speak all over the place. I speak in rooms. I speak, uh, you know, it's like, I don't, I mean, Toastmasters. I mean, there's no yeah. reason why, yeah, there's no reason why I shouldn't be doing it other than, you know, just that, that, I mean, I still deal with that imposter syndrome. Yep. Self-worth. Yep. And it's that, uh, you know, the guests are honestly a crutch for me. Hmm. you know I, it it it'll, it allows me to lean on them and and but still i mean they're they're great interviews they're great uh you know content but it uh it, it, i do use it that way yeah. and that's another thing about the uh the podcast that that i really pride myself on is you know being transparent and authentic yeah me too because look man if i'm if i'm if it's if i'm struggling with it you're gonna know about it yeah. And I'm going to, I'm going to tell you about it and I'm going to try and, um, you know, let you, let you come with me as I'm, as I'm working my way through it. Yeah. That's uh you know, the word gets used a lot today, but that's vulnerability and uh, people out there are like that, you know, and the flip side of it is if you're, if you're disingenuous and inauthentic and you're sitting here, you can be sure that people are going to stop listening to you. <laughs> uh, that is not what the world is looking for they're looking for authenticity and vulnerability. And, uh, you know, and, and my guests, you said that a minute ago, a lot of times what I find is my guests are like holding up a mirror mm -hmm. because as they talk about their stuff, I see me and what they're doing and, and I'm able to, you know, in that in the big book, it says that four step is a fact finding and fact facing process, you know, yeah, so, yeah. And, and we're looking for causes and conditions. 
those are the four phrase, the four words that are that I wrap around that is fact facing, fact fact finding, fact facing. We're looking for causes and we're looking for conditions into what made me what I am today. I like to say I made you know that's another thing we like to say. Uh, I made my I'm a self made man. You know I, I you know uh, fact of the matter is I'm product of my environment, all the experiences and 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 influences that have been placed on me. Uh, by the time I hit 45, I was very little what I really was. I was what everybody gave me. Yeah, no, you're, you're right. Um, you know, we, we have that narrative in our head um, that we believe or that, you know, like you just said, you know, gets uh, written in our, uh, in, our, in our data, right? In, in our operating system, it gets written that way. And, um, you know, it, it takes having to rewrite it. And, you know, the, like we said before, you know, you identify it with the fragments and then you reset. And, yep. you know, I, re, I reset probably in, you know, like two and a half years ago. And it wasn't just that, but it's a culmination of everything. Because, you know, it, when you want to change, sometimes it's really difficult because, you know, especially like for me, because I've never really experienced what success is, right? And, and the, I, would, I would, since I grew up in chaos, that's where I was comfortable. Mm-hmm. And I was creating it all around me all the time. And so whenever things would get good, I'd burn the house down because a, I didn't know how to, I didn't know how to even receive that. Yeah. Like, and then, and then if I did, then I would be like, well, shit, now I got a whole, I got to like, that's work. Right. It's, it's easy to get somewhere, but staying is the, is the hard part. Yeah. You're right. Right. And so I would, I would just, nah, <laughs> burn it down. Let's start over. Uh, I don't want to do that. I, you know, I might, I might succeed and, and then what the fuck will I do? Right. Yeah. <laughs> fear of success and, uh, and fear of failure. Yeah. Got it both. And I don't know what to do with it. And so, yeah, that, that, you know, I, I had to figure that out. I had to figure out a lot of different things, man. And, you know, the amazing thing that's happened because of this podcast is it's, I've been able to connect with so many people. Um, I've been on over 50 shows. I've mm. probably, I've got over 124, uh, in my, in my catalog, I've got more than, more than I even want to admit in my queue, which is upwards near like 50, 55, um, and drives me nuts every day. I think about it because it's, this is the fun part right here. Yeah. What yeah. we're doing what me and you're yeah, doing you're right. this, this is the fun. Yeah. Um, uh, I'm a one man show. Me too. And the, the, the stuff that I'm hiding from is the work. Yeah. Because it's not fun. Yeah. Did I hear you um, say you have like 50 episodes in the, like in a can that just need to be produced? Mm-hmm. Wow. Yep. Yeah. That's a, that's the way this one started out was a bunch of group dudes from our, my home group, my AA home group. I'm very fortunate to have fell into a group of men that was not good. I didn't get the experience you had. I don't think, you know, at least from what I'm hearing and I felt home and I, and I started joining and having this community and this brotherhood with these men. And, uh, and we were all, you know, compatible and we you know we just got along really really well and we listened to podcasts a lot and you know we got that idea well hey let's you know let it let it why don't we do one we got some good stuff to say and uh maybe somebody listened so we sit down and actually it was 12 of us sat down in a coffee shop one morning and talked about it and one guy bought some microphones and he had a mac and he said hey just come over to my office and we'll record so we set up a date and six or so of us showed up and we just tried to round table it and uh and we did it again and i think we did three times and real quickly people first off nobody wanted to do the work 
they wanted to be on the mic, but they didn't want to do the work and like getting it set up and getting it produced and finding some place to host it and all that. And real quick, everybody went, I don't have time for this shit. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and, and bolted. And I felt there was something in my heart that wanted to keep it going. There was, uh, I didn't know what I was going to do with it. I didn't know what direction I was going to go in and I knew it was going to be something recovery based. Uh, or at least that's what I was aiming for. And there I was standing there and I said, uh, uh, can I come pick up those microphones? Since <laughs> 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 you're not going to want to do it, you know, and, uh, and, uh, and then I had that wood shop in the backyard and I called a sponsee and I said, Hey man, why don't you come over and, uh, we will, we'll set this podcast thing up and you tell your story and we'll sit there and do that. And that was really the first real episode that I did. And then it just, the ball kept rolling. I always feel like the universe is supporting it mm -hmm. uh, because it's, uh, it's, it's keeping on going and it's keeping on growing. And I had no real aspirations for it. Not really. There was something in there, but I didn't have real aim to end up where I'm at with it today. Uh, it yeah, just evolved yeah. and I enjoy the shit out of it too. I yeah, do yeah. love doing I mean, it. It's, it's, it's great, man. Um, I, you know, I, I had, I, I have had to check myself, um, from time to time, uh, ego can get in the way of things, especially mm -hmm. when, when you're getting a lot of attention. And for me, that's, I thrived on that for a long time. Right. And so like, I've got a different angle that I've got to be careful of, mm. um, and, you know, not allowing it to, or actually not, not, not that it's not allowing it, but making sure that my my purpose stays in the forefront of wanting to help people yeah. because it can get swayed and shifted um, where I start taking more than I'm given and I have to be careful of that. And so I'm constant. Yeah. I'm constantly, uh, you know, I don't, I don't even know what to call it, but just constantly, you know, questioning, Right. What's, you know, what's the purpose that you're doing this for? You know, you remember what you're doing this for. And even like my girlfriend, man, she's got a, she's got a, a, a difficult job um, of, you know, keeping, keeping me, mm -hmm. you know, like, like questioning me. Like, you know, because she listens to everything that I put out there yeah. and it's, uh, you know, she, she does a good job. Um, you know, of, of just making sure that I'm not, I'm not doing things for the wrong reason. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. That's what, my sponsor kind of plays that role in my life. Uh, keeps, keeps my ego in check, you know, and, and talks to me. And he also gives me really good feedback on what he thought went well, what I thought, what he thinks I should start doing maybe more of and what maybe I should stop doing. And, and, uh, and so far since he's been in my life, my life has really been doing good. So I tend to uh, continue to listen to him. Uh, <laughs> his, uh, his mentorship has, uh, has been fruitful to say the least. And uh, so that's, that's a really good place. And I, so I helped my girlfriend launch her podcast yesterday. Nice. Uh, she does this thing, uh solo date challenge is what she calls it. And she helps women get in touch with themselves and uh, break codependency and get away from uh, toxic uh, relationships and things like that. And all, you know, help other human being focused. Mm -hmm. And uh, she'd been sitting around with it. And, uh, and so we sit here yesterday and I guess it was Friday and Friday and 
Saturday, I guess, but got her first episode and her trailer launched out there and taught her some of this little editing bullshit that nobody, you know, that, that how to patch these things together where they're, uh, where they work. Yeah. So that's been really cool too. Cause it's just, uh, you know, I never thought I'd be like, I fumbled through all this. I don't know if you had somebody, but I didn't have anybody, man. I learned it all off of YouTube videos and, and winging it and just sitting here and figuring out how to do it. And, uh, it's kind of neat to be able to actually mentor somebody and guide them. And, and here's what I did. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, it's, uh, it's, it's been, it's been an awesome journey, man. Um, a lot of great things have come from it. Um, not only just, just connecting with people and putting everybody who's been in my, on my show is now in my network right? Yeah, right. Yep. of, of people I can pull from if I, if I need something. Um, but it, it's gotten me a lot of other stuff too. Um, you know, from, I took a trip up to, uh, Utah to go to the other side Academy, which is a therapeutic community for adults. And I got to stay there for three days, uh, immerse myself into their program and see what they were doing because I had aspirations of starting my own program for, uh, men coming out of incarceration and reentering, uh, the community, mm -hmm. uh, returning citizens. Right. Mm -hmm. And I had this vision and it was through the podcast and listening to different things. And I had interviewed a lady who started a nonprofit. So I started picking her brain, you know, asked her a question. How'd you do that? Was it hard? You know, all this other stuff. And she's like, well, I had a lawyer do it and she did it pro bono. Let me see if I could hook you up with her and she'll, maybe she'll help you. And so she did and she did. And I got the nonprofit, the 501 C three status all done uh, for free. And now I'm in the process right now of, because I had to throw a board together just to put it through, but they knew that they wouldn't be the final board of directors that you're just, you're helping me. So now I'm piecing together the pieces uh, with a co-founder that I, I brought on to help me, but through my market uh, research and, and talking to probation officers and managers and, and uh, supervisors and other community-based organizations, the need in my community wasn't for adult males, but it was for transitional age youth, hmm. um, specifically males uh, 18 to 24 years old. And so I'm like, all right, well, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to start a, uh, a living facility that's going to be about a year to a year and a half. We'll, we'll work it out. And it's going to have everything in there, uh, including a 10-week program for self-leadership and figuring out all the things that I just told you that's actually packaged in a program, as long as, as well as other, you know, job skills, uh, placement, you know, anything that falls into teaching a man how to be a man again in the right way. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm, I'm aiming to do. And awesome. it, yeah. And also there's going to be a content creation portion of that because as anybody knows, we always felt like we had no voice mm -hmm. and that our voice wasn't important. Yep. You know, if you struggled and what podcasting has done is it gave me back my voice. Right. Yeah. It gave me back the ability and to articulate things that I never could before. Yeah. It taught me how to listen. Because in order to be a good speaker, you have to be a good listener. Mm -hmm. And if you ain't hearing, nobody's listening. And so it taught me all of those things. So I felt like that was important to include in this, uh, at, in this facility to have them build their own. 
and have them be able to bring in people to interview and, and sort of do it the way that I did it. Yeah. Well, you know, that gets down to some core stuff because we just do as human beings, we need to be feel like we are seen and heard. You know, that is an important core thing for us. And that's one of the things that happens with little kids is that you know, when they get wound up in this drama of the adults, be it divorce or abuse and this kind of stuff, uh, the kid completely drops off a of feeling like they're being seen or hurt, you know, and uh, and then you're, you know, you then that, the, the uh, culmination of that is the little girl balled up in the corner at the other end of the house crying yeah. right that is the that's that's what happens when we're not seen or heard you know we we and then that's just a retreat of our entire soul back yeah. into you know darkness really you know it's uh that's that's cool and there is there's a, there's such a need for people to help other people uh they're just as you know find a niche man and and dive into it there's nothing in my i sponsor a lot of people through these 12 steps and uh and they're just really you couldn't pay me a paycheck that gives me the satisfaction of what it does to watch that process work in somebody's life. And then, you know, and it's one, it's all good and well that this dude I helped got better. The mm-hmm. real, the real juice and the real gold is that his perimeter, you know, his parents do better. His kids are not having to deal with a parent. That's what, you know, and changing generations, like you said earlier mm-hmm. in your story about breaking those cycles of this uh, so that his little kids don't have to have, the trajectory that he did, you know, from, from exactly the same thing. Cause he can't, he really can't give them anything different than what he was given. He doesn't have those tools, you know, and this gives yeah. him a brand new toolbox and a new trajectory to do life on. And it really does have a, I'm really, I'm blown away by the reach of just helping one human being, uh, what that does in the ripple effect around that person's perimeter, you know, and then you got another one over here and another one. And if you're helping people through that thing and you're helping these guys that are coming uh, <clears throat> out of jail or whatever, whatever it is, I'm not sure I lost that a little bit. If these 18 to 25 year olds are just lost or if they're actually, Oh no, they're, they're, yeah, they're coming They're They'll be coming out of incarceration. Yeah, so, okay. they, so yeah, they've got yeah. nothing, you know, here they stand, you know, and like you, you shared that too. Cause I'm, and I'm sure that's why you're doing that. You got out of that place and you don't, you know, okay. Where'd I go now? You know, what I do? Well, if I don't have something, I just roll right back to what I used to do. You know, I don't have another path. There's a groove that's worn in the record. And if I don't do something, I don't have somebody to help assist me to make another you know, take a different path, then I'll just revert right back to where I, where I came from. Recidivism. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Recidivism. Exactly. Yeah. And, and what people don't really understand is that when re-entry, when you're incarcerated starts the moment you go in, it doesn't start mm-hmm. 10 days before you hit the gate. It doesn't start halfway in. It starts, it has to start when you get in. Uh-huh. And that's where I'm hoping to, um, intervene yeah you know because at some point you know people will start once this thing starts going at some point it'll now be in the system and they'll be reaching out hopefully when they get locked up to want to maybe hey can i get into this program you know i got five years you know can i get on the waiting list and maybe you know Uh, and then that way we could start giving them curriculum and stuff to work on while they're there yeah well it shows them the light at the end of the tunnel before they enter it you know, mm-hmm. so they know there's a landing spot out there to get to. That is awesome. I love that. 
Yeah. And so that, I mean, that's the, that's the big picture goal. Um, like I said, right now I'm putting together the, uh, the, the board of directors to help me get, get where we need to go. Um, a lot of other great things are happening too on, on that front as well. Just, you know, my visibility and my story is really starting to, um, attract attention, I guess you would say, and to, to bigger platforms. Um, there's one that I, like I'm it. probably, yeah, there's one I'm going down to in Florida. I'm flying down um, there, I think, in the, in, on the 25th. And I'll be there from the 25th till the 29th. And there's a couple of shows that, you know, I'm going to try to get on. I'm trying to hook up with some other people to make it as productive as I can while I'm there. But, you know, I mean, it's, it's just one of those things where it's, you know, you got to the thing that I, that people are, are really resonating with in my story isn't all the other stuff. Isn't the crazy uh, addiction and, and, and all of that. It's the, uh, it's the being the abusive person. Hmm. More people are resonating with that because I think there's more people that have dealt with that. More women um, deal with it uh, from toxic men. Um, you know, uh, even there's also toxic women out there too, yeah. you know, that are abusive in different ways. Yeah. Um, and yeah. so everybody, everybody has been affected by that at some point in their life or knows somebody who's been affected by that, or, you know, it just, it touches everyone. And there's not very many men that have come out publicly speaking about it hmm. and about their role, their own personal role in it and, and how to change it. And so that's, that's what people are really gravitating to. So, cool. yeah, cause it's, uh, yeah, that I had heard, uh, Holly that my, my girlfriend is, um, is recovering from abusive, toxic relationships and, uh, and she called it covert abuse, you know, cause she doesn't really think that these people were like purposely, you know, that does happen too, where people are purposely abusive, mm -hmm. but this like underlying this covert abuse that that goes on that is every bit as harmful it's kind of like that word trauma you know we think trauma is uh is big violent you know the word that's what it brings up for me but the same thing with this uh uh abuse does like you said doesn't mean punching them in the nose that's not what it means uh it's it's a lot of other things it's behaviors and manipulation and uh what another word uh left me but, toxicity yeah it's just, it's just every yeah everything that's wrapped up in, in in if you if you can if you whatever you picture toxic to be that's what it is times 10 you know so yeah. toxic masculinity that's a perfect example of yeah it. right um you know just any kind of toxic relationship behaviors i mean it's all encompassed in it mm -hmm. and so being able to come out and talk about that um in a way that isn't bragging about it but is owning up to my part in it and then giving solutions as to how to mitigate it. If this, mm -hmm. if you find yourself in that situation, you know, as that toxic person, you know, and so I, I hopefully, you know, it's, it's being an example to other men that, Hey man, you know, and, and you don't do that because it's like, you know, every time that I would do something like that, I would feel horribly about it. Right. But I just couldn't stop doing it. It was that fucking shadow shit, man. You know, that, that, uh, that subconscious thing that, you know, was just an auto response to, to everything, you know, even from lying, like I would catch myself lying about the dumbest shit 
and just being like, what did you just lie for? Why did you lie about that? Yeah. Yep. We talked to yeah. him. Me and my friends just had a big giant conversation the other day about the goofy stuff we'll lie about. You know? Yeah. So there's no reason for it. But now you've just created a, a, a problem for yourself because you're either going to have to, you know, admit that you lied. And now, now, well, does everything you say is a lie now? You know, so maybe I better not admit that I lied. You know, it's just this yeah. huge now thing. Now i got to cover it up forever and remember this lie. So I keep track of this lie and that lie and this lie. The thing, cool thing about the truth is it's easy to remember. <laughs> oh, right. It is. You know, you have to you have to constantly reinforce a lie where it's the truth. You just got to, you know, no big deal. Yeah. Yep. So, yep. That's what happened. Yeah. And if I don't you know ask me tomorrow, it, you ask me three years from now, it's going to be the same way it happened. Yeah. That uh, inability to be honest, you know, that's another core thing of mine, you know, that, that I just ran through the whole time, whether if it was just embellishment. So you'd think, you know, so I could tell you a big story or, uh, you know, what it was, it just felt like, you know, a lot of dodging and weaving and a lot of energy to keep track of all that. And, uh, you know, and you know, all that, uh, ID stealing stuff. It's, it seems like that, you know, that that's really a lot to be keeping track of. <laughs> that's a huge lie that, that oh, yeah. you have to try and manage. Uh, and we get ourselves weaved into those webs, you know, and, and uh, uh, there doesn't look like an exit. You know, I can't on my own find an exit out of that. And that's what addiction for me, you know, I could not find an exit door. Uh, everywhere I looked and, and, you know, that would cause uh, thoughts of, you know, suicide and other things like that in order to, you know, that's all seemed like the only exit door I could locate. And I didn't like that one. <laughs> I wasn't, I wouldn't say I was ever suicidal, but it was on the table because it looked like an exit door at times, you know? So truth of the matter is, is that, yeah, I'll, I have that in my past. And so that's what you're doing here. And I think that's what I'm doing too, is showing people where there's some exit doors and some places where they can get out of that cycle that they're in and jump off the merry-go-round. Cause I heard your story too, you know, it was just merry-go-round, man. It might've mm -hmm. scooted over a little bit, but it was just this cycle that, that just kept happening in your life and, and, and no exit door. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I often, say that I like I felt like I was possessed and because it like I didn't have any control over it or it had so much control over me and all these outcomes kept coming and bad things were happening and it's like God, how could one person continue to just make so many fucked up decisions <laughs> you know yeah. and like and that's self-esteem killers, you know, because then you're beating yourself up over these dumb things and then you end up in that path, you know, and that just is a downward spiral um yeah you said that and there's another uh computer uh uh analogy i use for this too and you'd said it earlier you know this that you said you felt like a it's like a parasite or like a computer virus and my mm -hmm. operating system got hijacked you know mm -hmm. and i'm not really running it anymore it's almost like this entity someplace has a joystick with the name dan on it mm -hmm. And, and he's just driving me around, having me do what he wants to do, you know, because inside there, the whole time, there was this little voice that was saying, Dan, you don't really want to do that, Dan. That's not really a good idea, yeah. but I couldn't hear that voice because the, that my operating system had been hijacked and, and, and I couldn't override it. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great analogy too. 
and it, it, and it is like that and so yeah it just when it I, i'm just grateful that it, it it went away and you know well to a certain extent it it released me from from whatever it was doing and i got a chance to reboot that sucker and uh you know i got a new chance at life and you know some of the cool things that have come from it is a nonprofit. Uh, my daughter who i you know was i, I abandoned um for a lack of a better term or word uh when she was 18 months old has reached out to me and wants to pursue a relationship and get to know me um that that was huge um there was uh yeah i mean just a lot of things are going in a good direction and you know i realized that you know i was with my union that i don't really want to be a part of that um just because of the amount of time that I was willing to, like when the pandemic hit, I got a chance to, to really co-parent my my kid and spend more time with her and realize like what I would be giving up if I was to go the trajectory that I was going as far as like sacrificing time with her and, and raising her the right way and, and teaching her, you know, not, not trying to give her the things that I wish I had, but spending all my energy teaching her the things that I wish I knew instead and then also you know this podcast is the legacy really to her mm-hmm. and yeah. to knowing me yeah and so yeah there's just been so many so many amazing things that have come from it and uh i'm grateful man yeah um, I, i'm 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 kind of i'm grateful to be able to come on this ride <clears throat> And, and, you know, not, not be the one who's running it, just allowing it to take me where it needs, needs to take me and letting the universe, uh, take the wheel and, and just let's go, man. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's go help. Let's go save some people. Show me the actions. Help me do that. And, uh, and, and that's the same way it feels like, uh, another analogy I use is like, uh, I use the word God. I don't know. I, there's some kind of power in the universe, something I don't get worried about what I call it. He don't, it don't care what I call it either. Uh, it's not, yeah. it's not bothered by the wrong name or gender or any of that. Uh, yeah, yeah. but it's like there's sticky notes that have been left around for me now, you know, and on this trajectory I'm on and I pick them up and what they are, are ideas that come in here. You know, and I, and I look at it and I go, Hey, yeah. And that's what like podcast. Hmm. I don't know if I can do that or not. Hmm, give it a try. And yeah. here we are, you know, and, and other little things, I have a men's retreat that I have, and it's coming up in May where I have 20 or so guys come down to this piece of property I've got. And we just work on ourselves all weekend and fellowship and bond and eat. And, and this is the, this will be the eighth one, uh, coming up, you know, and it was another sticky note that was just laying there and I picked it up and I went, Hmm. Yeah, why not? You know, and taking these little yeah. hints that the universe has given me and uh, and pick them up and, and putting some boot leather underneath of them, you know, because it takes that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and, sure. and you know, stuff just doesn't float down and land there. And and like you said, yeah, the ride that I'm on right now, this this is people ask me all the time, how you doing? And uh, the fact of the matter is, is there's really nothing I can ask for right now. You know, yeah, I mean, yeah. if you want to get down oh, some more money so I can do this more effectively, that'd be the only reason I really want the more money <laughs> is so that I yeah, can do yeah. this more effectively and I can spend more time with my children and I can, uh, my 83 year old father lives with me here. And, uh, you know, he, he, he helped me through all that stuff I did for years and years and years. And now I get to like pay back 
you know, and yeah, what, what awesome. to really, what's really the payback above everything else, above everything else, what you talked about with your kids, time, mm-hmm. time. Uh, cause that gets away and you can't recapture it. And, uh, nope. and, and learning that kind of stuff as, uh, you know, being able to be a dad that I get to be today. Uh, all that stuff has come along as I've, like you said, this trajectory I'm on, it is a blast. It is, it's a gift and you got it too. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, uh, I'm, I'm, like I said, man, I'm, I'm beyond grateful and, and any chance that I get to, to help another dude that's struggling, um, you know, even women too, though. I mean, there's, Me there's, there's some, you know, women that'll reach out and they're struggling or they, it's just from hearing my story and, and being accountable and they can't get that from the person that they wish they could the most. Mm-hmm something it touches them in a way that like i don't know maybe it 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 gives them hope that you know not all dudes are are fucked up you know i don't know what it does man yeah but it uh it, you know they're they're impacted by by the story right. as well it allows and, them to heal too you know there's that healing of the spirit that uh you know the aa and the 12 steps talks about our spiritually sick, you know, it says the bottles and all this other stuff are just symptoms of the real underlying malady is that my spirit, my soul, my essence is sick. It's ill. Yeah. Uh, it's been stepped on by the world, you know, parents, bullies, blah, 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 abusive men, whatever it is for you. Uh, and, and that spirit gets sick, you know, in that healing process, uh, you know, that's what, that's one thing they're getting just because you put words to it and face it and own it uh provide some healing for their spirit just because just 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 because you do that and there was one thing that i forgot to mention through this whole thing and it was how i got off the uh off the opiates and that was through um i had weaned myself down until i was at about i was taking 100 milligrams which are 10 10 percocets a day pretty much um and so that's a hundred milligrams. So I half that for a week, halved it for another week, halved it for another week until I got down to like two and a half milligrams, which is a quarter of a pill. And then I cut off of it completely and then moved into uh, edible marijuana. Mm. And that reduced the symptoms. I mean, I still, it, it, it was still discomfort, um, but it wasn't nearly as bad as it would have been if I just tried to stop. And then the marijuana just eased it off. And then now I, uh, I take edible marijuana um, as a microdose every day. So like some people would take a Zoloft or a, or a, a whatever, an SSRI, or I think that's their S. Yeah, I think you're right. You're right. Um, I use it in the same way. Yeah. And it just somehow it, it, it's really helped me. Um, it's helped me focus too, because being ADHD, it uh it slows me it, it it slows me down i don't get high but it just slows my brain down enough to where i can start pulling things and putting them places instead of just being like like spinning spinning in a circle and everything just sort of goes yeah. all over you, the walls you said, and, oh, there it is. Yeah, yeah. you said the tasmanian devil earlier and that's one other one because that's what a lot of it feels like it's that life is just yeah. spinning 100 mile an hour yeah so i mean you know that's just down that path a little bit is that, you know, try some things and do what works for you. 
you know, it doesn't make any difference. The stigma, the stuff, you know, I come from a hundred percent abstinence type of background with, you know, that would poo poo what you just said, you know, that, and, 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 you know, it's all bullshit. Uh, we're all each individual, you know, we're, we're all one collective thing in one regard, but we also have our individual needs and stuff. And, uh, you know, there's circles around that pale people. They're not doing right. If they're taking antidepressants, you know, well, bull, you know, and, uh, and I would think to some extent, a micro dose of THC will be a lot less harmful than this pharmaceutical <laughs> that, mm -hmm. uh, that, that I'm, that I'm taking. So that's interesting. So you, what, what kind of dosage is it? What do you, would you mind sharing that just so people might know? Yeah. So probably about five, anywhere from two and a half to five milligrams. It just depends. Like I'll buy, I used to make my own, but it was uh, chocolate and it's just too sweet i struggle with weight anyway so it's mm -hmm. like all right well i need to start cutting out uh different things that uh you know I, I could probably do without and that was one of them and so i just use this stuff that's uh, infused ghee butter and so i'll just take a so i have an eighth of a teaspoon and so i'll usually take like that so that's five milligrams um and dump it in there and with my coffee and Stir it in your coffee. Yeah. Yep. I put that ghee in my coffee for a while when I was doing one little experiment on uh, nutrition and uh, weight loss and stuff. Uh, I'd stopped nicotine a few years ago, man, and I blew up and I ketoed my way back out of that and putting that uh, butter. It was just one of the ways I was getting the fat into my diet. It's, yeah, it's yeah, good I coffee. <laughs> Makes a creamy, buttery coffee. Uh, yeah, I I I, used to, I did the keto thing too, man. Lost about thirty five pounds. Me too. Um, he was doing the uh, bulletproof coffees and and you know got down to a real, I mean, almost to where I felt like I'd look sickly. So I stopped. Did you? Yeah, um, yeah I'm down low now. Yeah, two twenty six for me was uh, was like uh, I, I didn't like the way I looked. Um, so 230, 235 is where, where I'm comfortable at. And, you know, I, I can not, I don't have the apnea. I don't have all the other stuff that comes along with it. Um, and the, 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 the aches and stuff in my joints and everything else. So, uh, but COVID, you know, I'd racked up, I put it all back on within two. Yeah. It took me two years to put it all back on, but hmm. COVID really capped it. Hmm. Um, and so, but I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty high weight proportionate, but I, my clothes are definitely telling me like, eh, come on, buddy, let's, uh, <laughs> you need to do something. And then my dog too, I started noticing that my dog was putting on weight and getting thicker too. And I'm like, oh man, you're doing it to him too. <laughs> yep. Uh, you know, I, another one of the things is that life seems to be this series of course corrections, you know, and the awareness and identify it and take the appropriate actions to, you know, uh, no longer bang off the guardrails. Uh, I keep it pretty much in the middle of the road most of the time now, you know, and uh, I don't beat myself up over uh, stuff that really don't matter. Aware, be aware of it, make the appropriate course correction and change the, change the course. Never, never have to make big, big sweeping turns anymore. Yeah, uh, yeah. For, for sure. Yeah, it's cool. all about self. It's all about becoming self-aware. You know, yep. once you be, once you become aware, then then you know, once you know, you need to do better. 
you don't you no longer have that excuse of uh well i didn't know yeah 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 we're just running around aloof to everything and uh yeah uh would you want to uh throw out some of the places where somebody could get in contact with you or where they could help you on your missions and and that kind of thing and then also if you would i'd like you to type me something up it'll have that because i can throw it in the show notes you know so people will be able to go to links if you have such a thing that you would Mm -hmm. like to do yeah so i mean the 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 website is going to be where the main places you can go, but that's being built right now, but I'll still give it to you. Uh, it's nowhere to go, but up pod.com. Um, but for right now, the best place to get to me is my link tree, which is a, basically the landing page. that has all the links that has to uh-huh. do with, with where I'm at. And that's uh, L I N K T R dot E E forward slash nowhere to go, but up. Yeah, I'll see it and there behind you. Yeah, right there. Right over there. Yeah. Nowhere to go but up. That's an easy one to remember. Yep. And so that's that's the best place you can find me. It has all the uh you know, okay. so it has that I think the that uh interview that you that I sent you. Oh, um, does it? Yeah. yeah. I think that's where I accessed it actually. I think that's I think um I'm not sure, but it seems like because uh Linktree is something pretty new on my plate. Uh yeah. Uh built one the other day too so i'll make sure and throw that on there so that people have a way to get get to us because uh, it's just important part of what we do here is <clears throat> cross-pollinate and uh yep, you know yep. this whole thing is a lifting of uh the human spirit and what we're doing and and everybody's got their you know if not everybody but you know a bunch of people have got their missions and if you would focus on all the negative that's going on in the world you can certainly see it and it looks like a lot but there's another thing that this podcast has helped me see is that that's, that's, I think that's an illusion. Mm-hmm. I think the truth is, is there's this good, this wave of good of people like you that have missions and are trying to do things to raise awareness and raise the vibration of the, mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and there's a lot more of that going on. It's just that goddamn negative bias thing that makes me see the negative you know, feel the negative emotion, like Jordan Peterson says that you know, I feel the negative emotion more. So I feel that strong, more strongly. So uh, that's why I want to like beat the drum and and make sure we're pointing out and allowing people to see this higher vibration thing that's going on. Cause there's a lot of good people doing good things. Yeah. A lot of that, a lot of that negative started, started subsiding for me once I stopped watching mainstream media. Yep. I don't watch the news anymore. I don't me watch neither. anything that they're telling me. Um, Zero. But you can't, you know, I can't not see some of it. There's places that yeah. I can't, it still comes into my periphery. But a little story behind, I ended up being looking at six to 20 years in prison over that pill stealing stuff. And uh, I ended up getting a deal to do home incarceration. And uh, I was on it for a year. And I couldn't, I couldn't cut, I couldn't turn off. Home incarceration is kind of expensive. And uh, that ankle bracelet is and the monitoring charges and all that. Yeah. And I can't turn off the gas and I can't turn off the water and I can't do that, but I could turn off the cable TV. So yeah. as much as I didn't want to back then, cause I thought that's crazy. I'm going to be home all the time on home incarceration. I don't have a TV to watch, but it was expendable. You know, I could do it and I did it. And it's really one of the better things I've ever done for myself in my life. Cause it's, I'm, I never turned it back on and I just, that's not a part of my life. Just like you were saying earlier, that's not part of my mental and spiritual diet. That, that yeah, yeah that stuff you know uh, i take in things like this like mm-hmm. the, the stuff like you're talking about feed my brain through listening to positive material like what i find a lot on podcasts i listen mm-hmm. to audiobooks and podcasts and i have earbuds in my ears almost all day long 
and I'm fortunate enough to be able to feed my brain from <laughs> the moment I wake up in the morning uh, to whenever I stop for the day. This is the revolution. Yeah. Plain and simple. This is this is going to be the way that that we win, and that we bring the fifty percent, the fifty fifty that it is right now, to sixty forty, then to seventy thirty. And I don't know how long it's going to take, but if we keep going in this direction and people more people start pulling off of that, you know, don't don't feed that shit. You know, yep. how do you, how do you hurt corporations? Don't support them. Yeah, you know, it's just real simple. You know, the more people that that unplug and and start getting in into things like this and listening to to other kinds of truth out there, um, you know, that aren't trying to program you. I mean, they call it programming for a reason. Yeah, yep. Yeah. I do. mean, they're they're not lying to you. Yep, yep. And you're they're telling you what they're doing. And you're volunteering for it. You know, yep. they're not making you do this. You're volunteering. You're signing up for it. Yeah. Yep. Well, the more the more you get away from it, man, the better you're going to feel, and the more you're going to feel empowered to want to do something to help yourself and and the people around you. So, uh, you know that the national shit that we all see, man, that that what matters is your own backyard. Yeah. And you start there. Start with you. Then you work your way outward into your community, your your neighborhood, and your your local government, and all that stuff. That's what's important. Yep. Get your own house in order and move out from there. Yep. Yeah. And your own house don't have to be perfectly in order. That's the hold you up too. You think you got to get there? No. Uh, yep. And I, and I see this movement and I see these people doing it all over the world, man. It really gives me a lot of hope and, uh, and, and keeps my batteries charged and, uh, keeps me trudging in this direction, even on some days when I don't want to. And, uh, yep. Well, cool, man. It was really nice to meet you. One of the things that always happens, and you said this parallel too, is that uh, every time I do a podcast, I feel like I walked away with a new friend, you yeah, know, because we spend sure. a couple hours with somebody and get to know their story and get to know their personality. And uh, and it's a cool thing. It's really a gift uh, to be able to do these things. I know that you know the exact same feeling. Uh, it Absolutely. Is, yeah. It's, uh, there's, there's, you, you, you can't explain it, man. You just have to, you have to be here and you have to do it. And yep. until you, until you do it, then you're just going to be here and um, amazing things from, from people like Dan and myself, when we connect and, and understand where we are and how we got there and, you know, the power of what we're doing and, and, and what it means, um, you know, everybody can start a podcast. And I think everybody should. Yep. Yep. Let's uh, do a little thing in the beginning of mine, anchor pays me a little bit to put this little commercial on there and then yeah let your voice be heard everybody's yeah. story is valuable and that's you know um yeah it is and uh i love doing it appreciate you being here i say two things at the end of my podcast every single time uh i don't know there's some things that work for me like saying that prayer in the beginning of the podcast that works i'll keep doing it things that work i keep doing uh <laughs> things that don't work i try to stop uh if you're not having a blast in your recovery, it's your own damn fault. Because you can be the CEO of your life in recovery, uh, whatever that means to you, recovering your true spirit, getting closer to being or being a better version of yourself day by day. And uh, I have to participate in that process. So I just want to thank, uh, thank Sean, thank the listeners, thank everybody that has to do with this. Uh, thank you for allowing me to participate in my own recovery in this manner today. Peace yeah, out. Thank you, Dan.